What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, have you avoided monkeys since we last spoke? Listen, I am uh, I'm of the, the camp that a pet monkey is actually a terrible idea. This, if anything, is the best example of why it's a great idea. Because it's chaos for other people. Like, you want to have a buddy with a pet monkey, but you don't want to have a pet monkey? Um, yeah, you just, monkeys are just chaos. Stay away from monkeys, man. This or Bishop Sycamore wins the, uh, it's not an SB, it's more like a Reddit award for <laughs> the craziest story of the year. If you don't know what we're talking about, if you didn't see that Jeff Banks, the special teams coach at Texas, the former assistant in Alabama, and his stripper girlfriend? I think they're married, Doug. Married, oh, good for them. Okay, um, yeah, uh, her, her pet monkey, which allegedly attacked a kid. Um, barely a college football story, but that, does not matter still just peak college football the type of thing that you were probably thinking to yourself well this isn't real then surely it is that's like just one of the things that has happened this week will i i hate to be that guy but you are in a in a spot that i was in not too long ago and i don't wish it upon my worst enemy you are officially the latest sds victim of twitter gone wrong of all the things that Twitter polices, a video of the Backstreet Boys should not be one of them. <laughs> yeah, I truly, so my Twitter got suspended. I'm no longer at Go So Hard. Gotta, gotta get a second one. Right now I just have a burner. But uh, yeah, man, I truly died like I lived. Uh, my, last, my last tweet was me making fun of the College Football Selection Committee. And the thing that I got suspended for was one of my buddies who runs a, a big UCF account was saying that UCF needs a version of Jump Around, like Wisconsin. And I was like, oh, I know you guys can work, like use some local talent. And I posted a clip, or, a clip of I Want It That Way from the Backstreet Boys. And like, imagine just like a, a whole section or a whole stadium of UCF fans thinking I want it that way. I thought it was clever. It got like 10 likes. Well, Hollywood lawyers didn't think it was funny and I got a DMCA notice and my Twitter got shut down. So here I am uh, speaking to you in the only way I pretty much can. Good for you, Twitter, for really putting your foot down and stopping all of the, the stuff that you're supposed to. Congratulations. What a stupid app. What a stupid app. Let me just say that. Like, I'm so sick of the way that Twitter is on the back end and, and the helplessness that, that it is to be in that spot now. And you're, you're, you're going through it. And fortunate, like, hopefully you're going to be able to figure out a way to, to get out of this, this Twitter jail that you're in. Still working on the SDS main account to get out of Twitter jail. <laughs> That's been a year in the making. But it's just the worst. It's the absolute worst. I think we just need to get Free Willy trending. <laughs> I think that's the best way to do it. Um, it's about as clever of a hashtag as I can come up with. Connor, this but, morning at like 8 a.m. while I was working out, sent me like, hey man, I'm sorry if I made too many jokes about your Twitter getting suspended. Maybe we could get hashtag free Willy trending. And I just like stopped mid-set and just started dying laughing because just leave it to Connor to just inject a dad joke into my life at 8 a.m. That was tremendous. That's what I'm here for. And any emotional support of just wanting to scream loud noises at nobody because that's what Twitter is on the back end when you get suspended or hacked, I'm here for that as well because Lord knows I did many of that during those three months in which I was uh, I was locked out of my Twitter account. Fun times, fun times. Um, shout out to all the Braves fans listening to this who are still hungover. Mm -hmm. Y'all deserve every ounce of that celebration long time coming hope everybody is is doing well and enjoying that it's crazy how much the timeline really blew up with with braves fans and i'm sure that so many of them are just going to be on cloud nine for the rest of the college football season mm -hmm. but 
We have so much to get to today. So, so much. As you can see by the length of this episode, we have playoff poll reactions. We're going to have a full breakdown of a rock solid week 10 slate in the SEC. SEC Network's Andrea Carter is going to join us to talk about her unique role at SEC Network, as well as some Liberty Ole Miss, which she'll be on the sidelines for. And then we're going to close with some bold and brash playoff edition. But first, before we do all of that, it's game time with Crystal, and it's time to square up your chance to win tickets. Crystal is running a score, a sackful, and a seat sweepstakes. The W, tickets to the South's biggest football game. Oh yeah, you heard that right. If you're trying to score tickets, Crystal's your winning edge. I mean, square. People forget that, they're the squares. Crystal is your move to keep all your fans in your life fueled throughout the season. Pick up some original Crystal Sackfuls, Chili Cheese Pups, or their new crispier fries to feed everyone at your tailgate or viewing party this season. Download the app and make it easy to order today. Make a game plan with Crystal because when you keep Crystal on your side this season, you could score the W. Playoff poll reactions, Will. We saw this coming a mile away. Everyone is big mad. Imagine that. Crazy, right? Like, I thought everybody was just going to be like, hey, selection committee, way to go. Totally nailed it. Everything was exactly the way that I would have drawn up. I'm kind of in the middle on this. Some things were maddening, and we're going to get to those. Right. I promise we'll get to those. And others, I actually was like, hey, I kind of like the way that they went about this. We're never allowed to give the selection committee any sort of credit because Absolutely obviously... If we're holding on to conspiracy theories, that's more comforting than actually calling it like it is for a lot of people. But I thought they deserve credit for a few things. Okay. One is what they did with Oklahoma only having the Sooners at number eight. I tweeted out the side-by-side -side breakdown of Oklahoma against Wake Forest, and it's like the same thing. It's basically the same exact resume. Both undefeated, both have zero wins against the current AP Top 25, both have two wins against Power 5 teams with winning records, but Wake Forest actually has the better margin, average margin of victory against Power 5 teams, better than Oklahoma by five points in that department. Oklahoma's best win, of course, is against uh, two teams right now who aren't going anywhere. Texas Tech team who just fired its head coach and Kansas State, who is two and three in the Big 12. But don't tell that to Joel Klatt, who said that once Oklahoma gets in the SEC, it'll get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Joel apparently didn't realize that Oklahoma's schedule is entirely backloaded and, and sorry, but when those are your two best wins, um, yeah, we question those things. The other thing that I like from the selection committee, head to head mattered. Head to head was actually something that was taken into account. Like football games between teams that you're deciding who's better than the other, a game in which they actually played the sport we're talking about mattered. Good for them for doing that. Because there were countless cases when we saw the rankings come out where we're like, hey, pretty clear to see. Head to head, it was valued. Oregon ranked ahead of Ohio State. Both have one loss. Remember, the Ducks won in Columbus without their two best defensive players. Mm -hmm. Everyone wastes so much time talking about quality of loss when it's always been about who you beat and not the record of the team that you lost to. It's just not. And if there are Ohio State fans saying, oh, they lost to Stanford, it's never going to matter. It's never going to matter. It's always about who you beat. That's the bigger tiebreaker. I mean, but yes, head to head. Ohio State is even as high as they are. If you're an Ohio State fan and you're mad that you're at five and the team that beat you head to head is at four and you have the same record, like, what are you doing, man? It's absurd. That's absurd. Ohio State should should be no better than six. And I can make the case that they should be more like eight or nine. Right. But that's that's sort of beside the point. They're probably for, not the best college argument. football team in the state of Ohio. I, I would have Cincinnati ranked ahead of Ohio State. As I said the other day on the pod, I, I think that there's 
clearly a case for the undefeated team that has the better win um, to, to have the better ranking. I'll get to that part in, in a second here. We valued head-to-head because otherwise the games are meaningless. We even saw Mississippi State get into the top 25, which was surprising because the AP didn't have them in the top 25. And I saw some people crying about SEC bias while also failing to mention that Mississippi State is the only team in the country who beat three teams that are currently in the playoff top 25. Think about that. They got the win against NC State. They just beat Kentucky over the weekend. Oh, and how easily we forget that they went on the road and they beat Texas A&M, who's now ranked in the top 15. Oh, so buddy, we never forget that, to be clear. I, I've thought don't. about that once every couple of hours for a couple of weeks. Maybe that game looking a little bit less random. I don't know. Mississippi State is, is playing very well. Obviously, they got a big, week, big weekend ahead against Arkansas. But that's why they got the benefit of the doubt. And that's why a lot of people were, were upset. Keep in mind too, because the Aggies have the, so why didn't A&M get the head-to-head -head against Mississippi State? Well, A&M has one less loss and the Alabama win, so A&M gets the bump ahead of Mississippi State. Okay, so that, that was the good. That's what the selection committee deserves credit for. The bad. Alabama, Ohio State, Cincinnati, all bothered me in different ways for where they ended up ranked. Bama at number two would make sense if they were beating Power 5 teams by 28 points per game and if they had four wins against Power 5 teams with winning records. That's what Georgia has. Georgia's also undefeated. Bama's not. Bama's margin of victory is 10 points fewer than that, and they have as many wins against Power 5 teams with winning records. Uh, they have half as many wins against Power 5 teams with winning records. Just two of those. Both of those teams are in the top 25, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. So I would have had Michigan State at number two. Mm -hmm. That's personally, I thought that if we're talking about the, 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 which team has the better win, Michigan State obviously undefeated as well. They have a better win than Alabama against a team that is currently in the top 10, which Michigan is, say what you want, say, say that they're overrated, still a one loss power five team. The problem I have with this is anything in which the SEC gets the benefit of the doubt, it turns into the SEC bias, of course. Those people ignore the fact that the league has won 12 of the last 16 national championships, but hey, it's all about conspiracy theories. It's all about the narrative. And what it now means is that everyone is just sort of assuming, and Will, we talked about this, oh, Bama can now get into the playoff even if it loses in the SEC championship. I still think that despite the number two ranking that it's unlikely to see the first two loss team make the playoff as someone who loses in the conference title game. Will, you disagree with that though? Um, I just said two loss Bama in general. I, I don't think that, I mean, I don't want to do the whole open the can of worms of what they did wrong here, but you know, so there's not, if there was a tier system, I wouldn't really hate Bama being number two in a different tier from Georgia, because it's obvious that Georgia's the number one team. And to me, two through six is pretty fluid. Uh, you, you could even put Oklahoma in there, whatever. Yeah. Um, so point being, <laughs> If your margin is literally zero rankings between Georgia and Alabama, to me that pretty much says that you view those teams as almost equal. In that, I, you know, let me let me put it to you like this, and, and I'm not gonna like go too far down this, right? One of RIP, my last tweet was basically like, what was the point of moving away from the BCS? Because at the end of the day, you know, as a society, right? No matter which side you're on, I don't think that you could really say humans have done great at choosing things like elections lately. 
the ranking things, at deciding what is the best among things. I don't think I need more humans in my society determining what is better than what, especially when you look at exactly what you said. You're factoring in past situations. You're not factoring what happened this year. You're factoring in Alabama's brand versus these other teams, which I understand it's strong, but if the goal of the college football playoff is to find the best four teams or the best, you know, whatever amount of teams and, and get them to New Year's Six Bowls, um, putting humans in there to have their own implicit biases and factor in the 30 or 40 years of college football that they watched before this day is pretty much the worst thing you can do because it's not giving you the best teams today. And so that's a very long-winded answer to say, you know, if they've decided that almost no matter what, you know, you can lose to a Jimbo Fisher team that lost to, you know, Mike Leach and all these different things, the, there is zero separation between Georgia, who has done every single thing you could ask a championship team to do, and an Alabama team that struggled with a bad Florida team, that lost to A&M, that doesn't have these bona fides that Georgia does, and not to say they're a bad team, not to say they're even not a top four team, I think they're a top four team, but, to, but this whole thing is about your margin of error. And we've basically proven, you know, going back to the two loss question, that Alabama's margin of error is huge. So not only do you have to beat Alabama, but you're gonna have to beat them a couple of times for them not to be in the championship. And that's the that's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Because if you're gonna just say, well, we think Bama's the best team no matter what they do on the field, then like it just makes every other team feel like, cause you know, as an LSU fan, we beat Bama once and the entire rest of the season was spent hoping they would lose again. Cause you don't want to play Bama twice. I'm just going to be honest with you. No other team really gets treated that way outside of Ohio state who, like we said, is just sitting there at five despite a loss. And so it's like, it's kind of ridiculous to me that we're, we're sitting here and losses don't matter. Apparently, <laughs> that's that's the point I wanted to get to is that they'd be ranked the same exact thing had they had they won that game. Yes, exactly. Thank you. I'm gonna shut up now. My bad. I I, <laughs> I, I went on that whole tear, but exactly, you put a bow on it. it. That game didn't matter, and it was one of the that most, game didn't matter. It was one of the most meaningful games in college football history, and they've totally just erased it by putting zero separation between the undefeated SEC team and the one loss SEC team. Yeah, and it will especially not matter if Bama does indeed get in with the two losses. We'll see if it, if, if it does have the margin for error. This could end up working itself out, like if Bama wins the SEC championship, or if it just misses it altogether, loses to Auburn in the Iron Bowl, then we'll kind of wait and see, and we won't be debating about Bama. But for now, it's definitely a talking point. Can we talk about Cincinnati? Please. Because, I look, I realize I'm talking to an SEC crowd here, and there are plenty of people who would say the Bearcats would be like the fourth or fifth best team in the SEC, which I'm not necessarily saying that they would be better than third or fourth in the SEC this year, but come on, number six was a slap in the face, mm -hmm. just a blatant open hand slap to Cincinnati's face. The selection committee just decided that being the only team in America to go on the road and beat a current top 10 team by double figures didn't matter. Gary Barta said, well, that one was impressive, but who did they beat besides that? In that same interview, Gary Barta said that Ohio State lacks a premier win. Ohio State has a loss. Ohio State's ranked ahead of Cincinnati. Yep. What are we doing? What, what in the world are we doing? The one loss Buckeyes without a premier win ranked ahead of undefeated Cincinnati who does have a premier win. And hey, you could say, look, the Big Ten East will sort itself out. Maybe another Alabama loss would open the door for the Bearcats down the, down the road. That's a joke. 
this is a, for a group of five, it's supposed to be a two year resume, right? Like that's what we all took away from the Cincinnati experience. It's a two year resume. And if you beat that actual quality opponent, that power five opponent, not just Pitt, not just Stanford, will take you a little bit more seriously. But you mean you should they have beat Notre Dame? It, right, 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 right. So just the group of five in general, like that's that that was the takeaway from watching what UCF won through 2017 yep, to okay. 2018, where again, 2018, they ran the table in the regular season, lost to LSU in the Fiesta Bowl. So should Cincinnati beat Notre Dame by 40? Because remember when Georgia couldn't even beat Notre Dame by double figures in those two matchups? Remember that? Or are we just totally discounting that? Because this Notre Dame team is at the same level that those two teams were at. If this Cincinnati team doesn't make the playoff going undefeated with a win that good, I really do think that they should just announce that all group of five teams are excluded. Just, just do away with it because you're essentially saying unless you go into Tuscaloosa and win a football game and probably have to win it by double digits, we're not going to let the group of five in. We're just not going to do it. That, that is baffling to me. And if group of five team went to Ohio State and won, I'd honestly bet that the selection committee would say like, well, the Buckeyes were without this corner. And once they got him back, they were, they were a better team. Brutal blow was also the fact that Houston and SMU were left out of the top 25. So even with SMU on the regular season schedule for Cincinnati and then potentially Houston in the AAC championship, both of those teams with another loss to Cincinnati are probably gonna be on the outside looking in of the top 25 come selection Sunday. That whole thing is just baffling to me. And they're doing everything in their power to make sure that Cincinnati does not get the benefit of the doubt. And I'll be honest with you, I've been saying all year, look, I still think that they're gonna get in if they are undefeated. But last night was a setback, a major, major setback. It was, ugh. I, I, I let out this, this like audible groan as number number five came up and it was Ohio State and Lauren's like, what did, what did you just groan for? I'm like, because they have just totally jobbed Cincinnati. And this is just such a raw deal that Luke Fickle's team is getting, despite the fact that they've done everything that has been possibly asked of them. That's that's kind of the point. <sighs> we're all saying the same. And like, mind you, we both understand. We're not new to this. We're true to this, right? This is week one. Okay. These people. Five to go. Yeah, there's five to go. There's a <laughs> lot of football to be played. These things usually sort themselves out. I would say as an aside, I don't understand why a group of people that has nothing to gain from kind of the marketing aspect of this continues to think like marketing people. I, I don't get it, but, but back to what you said, no, I, I think you're right on the money, man. It's just like, like I said, you go back to the BCS and like the, the, they have a site that does the BCS and Cincinnati is ranked number two right now. So if the whole point of the college football playoff was to give people more chances and now what we've done instead is jumped Alabama all the way up to two, move Cincinnati back from two to six. It just- Well, that's AP's different different than, than the college football playoff. No, so no, there is a site that. that runs the BCS. Oh, the, oh, you're talking about just the BCS the BCS gotcha. would be to, yep. we, we moved from the BCS to this system because it was unfair, gotcha. mind you, and we wanted more teams to have a shot. Now we have moved back to literally, like I said, it's implicit bias, man. It's, and, and, and like, I'll say this, like, you can, we can say, I understand people say, oh, it's week one, whatever. Exactly what you just said about those American Conference teams being moved out of the, the top 25 in the AP with the, uh, in, like, they've moved, they were in the, the AP top 25, they're not in the college football playoff top 25. That is a thought process. That's not a one-time thing. That's, this is what you think. And the funny thing is, and they keep saying strength of schedule. Oh, it's all strength of schedule. Who determines strength of schedule? You people. <laughs> so at the end of the day, you make up a metric 
and then you determine that everything, like everything lines up with this metric, but you can change the metric however you want because you determine the top 25. Yeah, you determine that Minnesota is somehow a top 25 team despite the fact that Minnesota lost to Bowling Green, who is just a disaster of a team. Go ask Tennessee about that. Minnesota hasn't beat anybody. They're six and two. They have a loss to Ohio State at home. They have a loss to a very, very bad Bowling Green team. Don't have a win against anybody that's decent. I think they have one win against a Power 5 team with a winning record. It's Purdue. Like, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Yet they are in, and the likes of SMU and Houston are like, oh, well, you know what? Yeah, but you don't have the quality wins yet. And they're probably like, well, you're not going to get in the top 25 unless you beat Cincinnati. <laughs> it's like, well, what are we doing here? What are we doing? I, look, I try and call it like I see it. I'm going to be 100% honest with you guys. Like, if I, if I think an SEC team is overrated, like, I think Alabama's overrated in the first bowl. I'm going to try and tell it to you in that sort of way and, and not hold on to preseason stuff too much. And is there a part of me that like would love to see that Cincinnati prediction that I had in the preseason come true? Like, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. But if we're being totally impartial and being totally unbiased about this situation, if it were reversed and if we saw the SEC go through this, so you can say, well, the SEC would have more quality power five opportunities available, whatever. But having a win that good and still getting that kind of treatment in the first rankings, there'd be a total uproar. And there probably is still an uproar right now, but it is exclusion right now at this point. So me, we'll have a lot more time to talk about Let me about take this. a step back and just further light your Google Doc on fire here. What do you think about Oregon just kind of as a, as an idea, as a team? Like, do you, obviously they have Joe Moorhead, but take everything else. Like, don't, don't even think about who we're replacing them with. What do you think about Oregon for? I, I genuinely, honestly, don't even really have an opinion. I was so, like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I kind of overlooked um, the number that was next to Oregon I was more focused on whether or not they're going to be ranked ahead of Ohio State. Yep. So I, I would not have had Oregon in the top four to start. And that doesn't have anything to do with the Stanford loss. That's more of like, hey, if you actually break down the top, the 12 teams, the 12 teams that are either power five, zero or one loss teams include Cincinnati, include Notre Dame in that group. It's basically like the top 10 plus Baylor and Oklahoma State. Mm -hmm. So if you if you just break down that group and if you look at average margin of victory against power five teams, Oregon has the worst there. That's and that's why the, thank you. Yeah. So like that's that's the knock against Oregon right now. That's still not a reason to to have them ranked behind Ohio State. And I'm glad the selection committee said the head to head was more important than that stat even though Ohio State has the advantage there by by 20 points. But it all depends on who you've done it against. Oregon actually and the reason that I'm not as in a big of an uproar about Oregon, Fresno State's also in the top 25. Oregon beat Fresno State. Fresno State, that's its only loss. So now you're talking about a team that has two top 25 wins. Ohio State's sitting there with zip, zilch, nada. Cool, great. Penn State's out, all right? Like this is, this is a different set of circumstances here. So I wasn't as much upset about that personally, but I could see, I could see both sides of that argument. I'm just happy that Oregon was ranked ahead of Ohio State as it should have been. Okay. Is that a fair way to answer that? Yeah, for sure. And like, I just haven't watched a ton of Oregon football, I'll be honest with you. But like that that type of stuff is good because... Oh, I'm locked in, man. It's <laughs> your forehead, man. Um, they, he, got, he got brought up in the first six minutes, too, when they're like bringing up the Stanford loss and saying how they didn't have Moorhead. Um, on, they didn't have Moorhead calling plays in that game as well. And like, there's something to be said for that. Take it from them, not from me. They mentioned Joe Moorhead earlier on the ranking show than I did on this here podcast. That just shows you how unbiased I am. Yeah. No, listen, you're a thought leader, some would say. <laughs> Let's go from one unbiased thought to another. Week 10 SEC games. Gosh, I'm so excited for this one. 
Ole Miss 10 and a half point favorite at home against Liberty. The over-under is obvious. Three times the word reunion is said on the broadcast. Happy Malik Willis week. More on that in a second. Something I've been thinking about a lot is how I would feel if I were an Ole Miss fan as it relates to Hugh Freeze. The Hugh Freeze reunion game that a lot of people didn't think would ever happen back when this was scheduled in 2017. At the time, Hugh Freeze still the coach at Ole Miss. Liberty gets paid $1.5 million for this game, which is just a crazy thought. They were an FCS team at the time as well. So just kind of bananas the way that things have changed over the last four years. So Hugh Freeze, my knee-jerk reaction says that he'll get Lane Kiffin Tennessee treatment. And on the surface, I get it. If I was, let's say, an Ole Miss student who went there from 2016 to 2020, I'd be like, hey, I had to watch this program suck because of your 15 level one NCAA violations and because you thought it'd be totally chill to use your university-issued cell phone to contact an escort service. All right? Like, I went to Indiana from 2008 to 2012, and for a while, I absolutely hated Kelvin Sampson. He sent too many text messages to recruits and put the program in shambles for three years after he was fired. And up until my senior year of college, the very thing that I was told was going to be the best part about going to Indiana was an embarrassment because a coach got in trouble. So trust me when I say, like, I understand kind of the Ole Miss fans who, are, who come from that sort of background. I'm always gonna be kind of jaded to Kelvin Sampson as a result of that. But if I'm like a 30-year-old Ole Miss fan and not someone who necessarily lived through the Archie Manning years half a century ago, I also think about this, or I try to think about this by like, hey, Hugh Freeze provided me with the best Ole Miss fan moments of my lifetime. I guess you can kind of nitpick here or there, say, you know, some Eli Manning moments were, were, were great as well. But Katy Perry doesn't happen without Freeze. Neither does the second Bama win or being in the top four of the first ever playoff poll, which that stuff matters. It absolutely does. Think about how many fan bases, proud fan bases, would sell their soul to the devil like Hugh Freeze essentially did just to have a two-year stretch like that. I mean, think about it. Like if Tennessee has, Tennessee hasn't had anything like that in the last 15 years. They, they would sell their soul to the devil for a two-year stretch like that probably, right? Oh yeah. I mean, if it meant three years of essentially being in NCAA jail, which that's that's kind of what it turned out to be for Ole Miss. And, you know, ideally, like you would say, all right, I wish this happened in a cleaner way. But as they say in the SEC, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Right. All right. Like that's that, that's part of it. The other thing that's fascinating, Hugh Freeze recruited enough talent to at least make Ole Miss somewhat entertaining from 2017 to 2019. Not saying they were a good football team by any stretch of the imagination. They had scholarship limitations, they had recruiting limitations, all those different things, had the bowl bands. DK Metcalf and AJ Brown were there for, for the majority of that time, which like, I remember watching DK make that play um, very first series that Ole Miss had against Bama, that 2018 game. Marler, Duff, and I were all at that game in Oxford. That was first first only time I've ever been to Oxford. It was awesome, it was so much fun. But seeing the, the way that the stadium just erupted when Metcalf did that mm -hmm. was cool. It was really cool. And it's like Ole Miss was in jail, but it got the Goodfellas treatment, you know? Like they get the special meals, they get the stuff brought in from the outside. So like, you know, technically they didn't have any freedom or in this case, I guess, bowl eligibility, but at least they passed the time in a more comfortable way than most. Something that's easy to forget about the, the Hugh Freeze era is that guys like Braylon Sanders and friend of the show Momo Sonogo, they were Freeze era recruits mm -hmm. and they're still there.
just just nuts to think about because that feels like so long ago. And you know, so you're appreciative of, of that, I guess, in a way, if you're an Ole Miss fan, appreciative of those guys for being willing to kind of stick it out. Um, and, and now perhaps Freeze's downfall led to what's perhaps the best version of Ole Miss, which is Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin. Um, there's a case to be made and time will tell if that is indeed the best version of Ole Miss. But right now, I think there's, there's a whole lot of momentum in that program. Freeze, to his credit, turned things around for himself after he had the unofficial SEC ban where Sankey definitely didn't want him taking a coordinator job while Ole Miss was still being told, hey, you can't go, go to a bowl game yet. Now he's leading the top quarterback prospect in the country. No big deal. And so that's kind of the way that I look at this Hugh Freeze thing. And I think it's a little bit more complicated than just saying, oh, you know, this guy that did so much, that brought so much harm to the university. And it's embarrassing. It's an easy thing for us to poke fun at. But I just think there's a little bit more to it. Will, is that all fair? Yeah. No, I mean, hey, listen, talking to an LSU fan about selling their soul for wins, so... <laughs> not going to be, gonna be a <laughs> lot, point. not a lot of resistance there. I mean, I you know I personally a lot of older LSU fans will t- tell you that Ole Miss is LSU's biggest rival. I've never really felt that way. I think Ole Miss like I don't have any issues with them. I think they're cool. We've had some great back and forth games, and yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that number one. Um, let me try to think about how to say this because I don't want to downplay what I don't want to downplay what Hugh Freeze did. I, I don't think it was good. I don't think it was wholesome, but. In con- contrast to some of the other sca- scandals that have happened in college football, a lot of old Miss fans would tell you that if they were Alabama, those things would have never really been handled the way they were with Hugh Freeze. I, I would say that too. It's- yeah, the Houston nut involvement in it and the way that that kind of went about. And, and a little bit of hubris from the part of Hugh Freeze mm-hmm. and kind of why he got himself in that position. And you also recall, like the guy sent out tweets saying, if you've got proof of us cheating, email compliance. Boy, People were ready to pounce on Hugh Freeze. They were ready to pounce on Hugh Freeze for that sure. Was such a bad move. It's like, I wish I had that. That's the kind of confidence you need to beat Alabama twice in a row. It's just, That's true. I'm That's cheating. Send evidence to the FBI. <laughs> anyway, so. There you go. Point being, yeah, it's like, I I don't know. I, part of that, at the end of the day, there's this whole tier system in college football. Like, what is your level of success? And everything is momentum driven, right? So for Hugh Freeze, you know, that gets your donors excited. That opens the pathway to something like Lane Kiffin. So I think at the end of the day, even if you're upset with the guy, even if you are the type of person who thinks that college football is sacred and what he did, number one, in terms of paying recruits, and number two, you know, in terms of the infidelity type of stuff, is bad. Even if you think that, you know, you look at where you're at in a program and you can be objectively happy, and you kind of have to look back and, and nod your head to Hugh Freeze and say, well, Hugh Freeze, whatever crumbling foundation it might be that you don't like, he laid it, you know, I, I, there's no other way to look at it. Matt Luke didn't build this this house. Matt Luke kept it together though. Yeah. I'll always give Matt Luke credit for that. People people love that guy within the locker room. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, no slander, did. no slander. It's just, there was one in my lifetime, and, and obviously Houston, that's a good coach and everything. Coach O was a terrible coach there. There's one coach that's kind of been a fear to LSU fans, and it's been Hugh Freeze. I think his offense was always dynamic. Wasn't Cutcliffe, yeah. What did you say? Wasn't Cutcliffe either, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right, yeah. So that's the big storyline, of course. In terms of the actual on-field product, I hope Matt Corral is healthy because Matt Corral versus Malik Willis is so good. Oh, yeah. That is, that is the quarterback matchup I've been dreaming about. Best quarterback matchup of the year in terms of NFL prospects, probably second overall to Bryce Young versus Matt Corral. I'd give that a little bit of a nod. 
Bryce Young maybe not on the level of Malik Willis as an NFL prospect, the way that he's being talked about at the next level, but I've watched a lot of Malik over the last year and a half, I'll be honest with you. If I've got some downtime and like they're playing a game on ACC Network or something like that, or I can stream it on ESPN, like I have found myself doing that on a very frequent basis. I can't wait to watch him play against an SEC defense for the first time since Gus Malzahn decided that Bo Nix and Joey Gatewood were better quarterbacks than Malik, and he entered the transfer portal. People forget that. Joey Gatewood over Malik Wills. Um, Listen, he's still in Gus's system, bless his heart. Yep, still trying to make it work. Hey, through his first touchdown pass in like two years. I, I really do hope it works out well for Joey Gatewood because some of the hype with the Cam Newton stuff just did not match the the ability in terms of throwing. But hope it works out for him. I hope he is the, the guy of the future at UCF. But Malik Willis is here. He is now. He improved a lot with Hugh Freeze too, and especially with the accuracy where he did not have that. on the When he first got to Liberty, he was not an accurate quarterback at all. And now not only is he improved as a, as a passer, but he's so confident as a runner you heard jamie chadwell say on this very podcast that they would have won that game coastal carolina would have won that game by two touchdowns if not for malik willis Mm -hmm. guys built like a linebacker he's fun to watch it would have been fun to watch him in the sec but i digress um so i think that on saturday we see malik willis play well i'm picking old miss to win but liberty to cover um, I had this among my preseason top games in all of college football, and dare I say, I think it might be my favorite noon game of the year. Just for all the storylines, I love a good storyline and a good on-field product. We talked about that with Ole Miss and Tennessee, how that kind of satisfied both of those boxes, and this this definitely checks both of those boxes as well. All right, Mizzou, Georgia. Not going to spend as much time on this one. Georgia's a 39.5 point favorite. Woof. The over-under. Will, this is not a coincidence that I have this number in here because nothing's ever a coincidence. Right. 458 Georgia rushing yards. Why 458, you ask? Of course, that's how many Tennessee had when it faced Mizzou. This should be Zamir White, James Cook, and Kendall Milton going off against that Mizzou run defense. I mean, it's, it's going to be ugly. Unfortunately, Mizzou and Arkansas State switch spots again. Update the rankings. The run defense rankings in college football, back to last for Mizzou after facing the gauntlet that is Vandy in that rushing attack with backups galore. Not great. Not great. I think we see some JT Daniels in the second half of this one, and we didn't against Florida, somewhat surprisingly, but you got to start, if you're Kirby Smart, you got to start getting him some reps. If you do have to turn to him at some point and you decide we need to do our Jalen Hurts Tua thing and put in Tua in the second half of a, of a meaningful game, you better have JT ready. And I think they'll do that this week to kind of get his confidence up. I almost wonder if we see the inverse of the Vandy Georgia game where Georgia goes up like 28 to nothing in the first quarter. And then that game, JT came out and then Stetson Bennett comes in. We'll see maybe the opposite of that again, where Georgia gets off to a 28 to nothing lead, Stetson Bennett comes out, JT Daniels goes in. If it does get out of reach, I hope Eli Drinkwitz gets Tyler Beatty out of that game before the Georgia defense does mean things to him. <laughs> Very likely that that could happen. Uh, no idea if Connor Bazelak is going to play in this one. Could be Tyler Macon, Brady Cook, Drinkwitz trying to play at Coy. Not going to matter. They could bring out Chase Daniel and they still would not win that football game. Georgia's going to roll here. I'm a bit favorite heavy this week, but I will gladly give those points and say Georgia wins by at least 40. It's, it's kind of wild Yikes. that Georgia's just not even trying to make, I mean, I guess it'd be swift, but they're just not even really doing a Heisman thing this year. I was going to say this this would be a great game to kind of like put that on display, but it seems, it seems like mean, it's Jordan Davis. What do you mean like with Swift? 
What's up? You mean Zamir White? Oh, sorry, I just called him Swift, my bad. Yeah, 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 um, Zamir White. Listen, they're all freak five-star backs, ladies and gentlemen. They're all NFL players. Same thing, we knew who you meant. Right, yep. but no, exactly, like, well, that might, might kind of be the problem, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, they. I guess Jordan Davis is like their Heisman guy, right? It, but like, this, yep. would, this would be a good game to be like, let's get these backs involved and get like a 300-yard game and really like get the media talking about these guys. I don't know. Yeah, this is the problem though. This is the type of game that Jordan Davis is going to play like 15 snaps. Yeah, and he's he's only going to have those limited opportunities to do something big, and that's that's why him like realistically winning the Heisman is probably not going to happen unless he has like three sacks in a game like this or something like that, and it gets pulled for the entire second half. Then then people will start talking about it more, but in all likelihood, yeah, it's it's going to be a game in which Georgia gets a lot of rest for those first teamers, which maybe they need after playing um, playing most of the game against Florida at least. Auburn, Texas A&M. Texas A&M, four and a half point favorite. The over-under I have four times a variation of the word turnaround is said. <laughs> very popular theme for this one. Both of these teams entered October in a very different place than now. Entering the month of November, I was blasting both of their head coaches. Both of them figured out their offenses. Now both of them are in the top 15, trying to get a monumental win in the SEC West. Kind of mirror images of each other too. I realize that Bo Nix has far more experience than Zach Calzada, so that's not a perfectly accurate comparison, but both of them looked like liabilities and flipped the narrative against quality competition. Both of these teams have two of the best defensive coordinators in the business with Mike Elko and Derek Mason. Probably both of them are going to be rumored for Power 5 jobs. Elko for TCU. Derek Mason in Arizona State, if that job opens up, would be really interesting huh. as well. Man, I Wouldn't could see hate that. that. Man, I could see that. Wow. Yes. Let's let's speak that one into existence. I, I know Auburn fans want to be able to keep him on the planes, but Derek Mason in Arizona State. Make it happen. Make it happen. Both, though, have versatile, dynamic rushing offenses as well who can take over a game. Spiller kind of similar to Tank. A-Chain kind of similar to Hunter. Most importantly, both are now looking like complete teams who are peaking at the right time. I've gone back and forth in this game all week. Cannot make up my mind. <laughs> my initial thought was Aggies at home. They've been a force there as of late. Ever since the Mississippi State game, they've been really good in College Station. But the more I think about it... <laughs> The more I, I don't want to keep doubting Auburn. <laughs> I keep what is doing rule it. number one? Don't doubt we Auburn. Never doubt Auburn. That's what we're. I've gone away from that too much. So you know what? I'm gonna not doubt Auburn. I'm gonna say that Auburn's gonna pull off a road upset, win this game. Very good, competitive, great 3:30 SEC on CBS game. Auburn wins 24-21. Stick, I'm, I'm on record. I'm finally sticking with one. Let's go to another SEC West game. Mississippi State, Arkansas. Arkansas is a five and a half home, five and a half point home favorite. It's kind of surprised the line is what it is at this point. Thought that'd be a little bit closer to even. Maybe some of that is Mississippi State playing on the road, though they do have the win in College Station, as we've brought up multiple times now on this podcast. The over-under I have, 25 Mississippi State rushing attempts. Talked about this on the Sunday pod, but for those who missed it, Mississippi State, now a balanced offense or at least it kind of was against Kentucky. Mm -hmm. um, 31 carries for the tailbacks compared to just 39 pass attempts for Will Rogers. Still dead last in FBS with 21 rushing attempts per game, but why not have similar type of balance against Arkansas? We know Barry Odom would prefer to play drop eight coverage against you. It worked against you last year, albeit with KJ Costello, not with Will Rogers. I think you're going to want to give your defense a bit of a breather against the tempo that Arkansas likes to run. 
And that's something that if I'm Mike Leach, I have to take into account to try and get the backs going, to try and get Jaquavius Marks, to try and get Dylan Johnson involved. Um, we'll see though. I mean, Will Rogers was still in a groove last week. It didn't matter that he you know, didn't have to throw 60 passes to get into a rhythm. Believe it or not, you could throw 39 and still get into a rhythm. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, so last year in this game, this is such a different set of circumstances, I think, for, for both teams. Fresh off the LSU win in the opener, Mississippi State was. Feeling great. Everybody's patting them on the back. Mike Leach is going to revolutionize, revolutionize the SEC. Mississippi State was right to have all the confidence in the world. Shout out to Brandon Walker. Brandon Walker, I don't know if I've told this story on these airwaves. Maybe I have. And if I have, just uh, bear with me on this. Brandon Walker unfollowed me because I predicted Arkansas would beat Mississippi State in my preseason crystal ball, which resulted in him clicking on the link that he wasn't tagged in. And within five minutes of me tweeting it out, he um, sent, a, sent a tweet to me that said, goodbye forever, because I picked his beloved Mississippi State Bulldogs to lose to Arkansas. Hate to lose a reader and like that, hey. You know hate, what happened. Hate whatever. to lose a dedicated fan. You know, 32 million page views in the last month. Whatever, go ahead. Um, Flex all look, the comment, okay. Just saying. I, uh, I played along with him by offering up like a friendly wager, but it also prompted a, a bunch of Arkansas fans to get into his mentions. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Brandon like fought all of them. <laughs> and then when it actually happened, like Arkansas beat Mississippi State, I tweeted at Brandon, maybe not goodbye forever. Nothing like too malicious or anything like that. He then unfollowed me right then and there. I was like, no, I'm not dealing with this. But I am team no enemies, so no bad blood there. Hope the best for Brandon and everything else. But yeah, anyways, we'll get back on track here. Arkansas probably wishes that it could have caught Mississippi State at a different time. Mississippi State probably wishes this game was in Starkville. I still sort of think this matchup should work for Arkansas, but I don't feel great about it. Arkansas has to get back to that ground game that fueled the hot start that they got off to in the month of September. Should be able to get Traylon Burks in some favorable spots with him in the slot away from Emerson and Forbes. At least the majority of the snaps, you would think. We'll see. KJ Jefferson has to be able to pick up that pressure. We know Zach Garnett likes to be able to send that. He likes sending extra guys from the second level. Um, but I'm going to say, I'm going to hedge here. I'm going to say that Arkansas shows up desperate and wins a close game 28 to 24, but Mississippi State covers. Weird thought, Mississippi State, a win away from not just clinching bowl eligibility, but also getting into the top 15. That's crazy. How things change in the SEC, man. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like Mike Leach just had so many offensive snaps last week against Kentucky. He didn't really know what to do with them. I think that his offense working to that level usually results in like shorter drives, but they were just like dinking and dunking down the field. Not to like slander them, but it's like they just controlled the heck out of the ball. Like Kentucky could not hold on to it. So I think Mike Couldn't. Leach kind of got to a point where he's like. Do we want to throw 80 passes? <laughs> like, maybe. He was looking at the game script. He was like, maybe we should run the ball. Is this what we do? We run the ball in this situation? Okay. And good for him for adjusting. Because if they had thrown 80 passes, that would have gone probably not as well as just wrecking Kentucky in the way that they did. But yeah, no, I, I this is going to be a fascinating game. You know, uh, poor Arkansas, man. They started off this year so hot and kind of the defense, hate to say it a little bit the way they did last year, the, the air just kind of yeah. has gotten out of their sails and hate to be this guy really do it it's like 
is this kind of a thing? Like, is it is it a thing where Arkansas like starts off the year in this tear and like they're putting everything together? Like, you know, they beat Ole Miss last year, obviously, and, and now it's just kind of like, all right, so is this defense starting to get predictable? Number one, uh, and mm. and obviously, you know, they started off. Um, we were in love with their coordinators. I, I feel like we still have to be, but I, I feel like it's just a very, I, I'm not out on like Barry Odom or anything, you know, but this is one of those games where it's like, all right, you know, that's why we love the SEC West, you know, specifically because there's so many wrinkles and it's like, well, now you got to play this team. So like, Barry, what do you got for us? Uh, so, yeah, yeah we'll, big game, we'll see. big game for him. Big game for that narrative as well. And I think Arkansas fans as a whole, if there's one thing that they want, it's to, to not have the second half that they had last year. Mm-hmm. And this game would go a long ways to kind of change that narrative around a bit. Um, speaking of teams that just are hoping and praying that their team is not kind of reverting back to its old ways, Kentucky. This game is basically a coin flip. Half point favorite the Wildcats are in Lexington. The over under I have one and a half Kentucky turnovers. Why one and a half? Because <laughs> they can't stop turning the ball over, Cutter. <laughs> they cannot. They are averaging one and a half turnovers this year. That is dead last in FBS. Oh, not wow. great. Yep. Tennessee, middle of the pack in terms of forcing turnovers. I haven't given Tennessee's defense enough love here, and I'm sorry. I, I thought Tim Banks, not Jeff Banks, Tim Banks, very, very different than Jeff Banks. I thought that he was going to have the worst defense in the SEC. And I, I said that a lot in the offseason. Hand up, dead wrong about that. Probably my two worst preseason takes were that and about Auburn, the five and seven projection I had. I really like what the Vols are doing in what's essentially like a year zero for that defense with all the pieces that they lost in the Pruitt fallout. Mm-hmm. And they have an all SEC caliber dude at each level. Matt, Matthew Butler has been a menace on the interior. Tyler Barron, phenomenal off the edge in that kind of like Jack linebacker role. And then Elante Taylor went from being a receiver that Jeremy Pruitt flipped to the other side of the ball and he put him at cornerback as a true freshman. And now he's become a lockdown corner on the outside. And they actually like to move him around and do some different things with him because of how physical he is and his ball skills. But that's my way of saying, I think the Vols defense is going to give Kentucky some problems. I, I just don't know what's going on with the Kentucky offense right now. And I know we have our fun with like the Liam Cohen thing, but I'm kind of baffled. Um, I, I thought their, their season would kind of have the opposite narrative where they would be much better in the latter half against a little bit more favor, favorable competition. And the Mississippi State game was a huge setback. Chris Rodriguez had a wrist thing that he didn't. I don't know what to make of that. The fumble was just weird that he had in the Mississippi State game. Did not look like he was just totally right. I don't know if that's mental. I don't know if that's physical, whatever it is. He's had his issues fumbling the football this year. It's been well documented. I also don't know what to make of Will Levis's decision-making. I, I think if Kentucky comes out with anything less than that LSU energy, it'll lose this game. It, it's gonna have to be even better than what they did against Florida. Uh, and that's that kind of tells you where, what I think of Tennessee at this point. And, I don't think that happens. I, I think Hendon Hooker coming off of a much needed bye week to get healthy along with Jabari Small being back, possibly Cade Mays also returning. I'm taking Tennessee to win on the road. And I did not think I would have a few weeks ago. I did not think I would have probably as, as recently as like last week, this time last week, I wouldn't have told you that. And I know that Kentucky has been a different team at home, but I think this is a good back and forth game that, that Tennessee wins 28 to 24. Stoops is two and six against Tennessee. Go figure, Stoops has as many wins against Tennessee as he does against Florida. Wow, that's a stat. <laughs> that's nuts. So, hold on. Also weird. Good. Over, so, before, before you get to this, this maybe will factor into your breakdown. 
Overnight lows are gonna be in the 20s in Lexington. And last year, Hendon Hooker had that game where he left because he was shaking from the cold. Oh, no. And Justin Fuente was basically like, I've never seen that. So if Hooker plays poorly, it'll be blamed on the cold probably. Shout out to KSR for reminding me of that weird sequence last year. But weather, thoughts. <laughs> I'm pro weather. So me, I respect the weather. Listen, you, you gotta hand it to the weather. Uh, anyway, oh, yeah. so when you said one and a half Kentucky turnovers, is that Kentucky turning the ball over or Kentucky forcing Correct. Okay. Kentucky turning the ball over one and a half times a game. Okay, yes. I was about to say, because I was like, hold on. that, that thing. Giveaways, if you will. Yeah, 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 giveaways. Okay, I was about to say, that about lines up with what I thought. Um, okay, yes, just, just, just making sure. So, yeah, no, I mean... That's, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, Rodriguez matters here because, I mean, it's, honestly, it's really two really good rush offenses. You know, when, when Tennessee gets in a groove, uh, that, mm -hmm. that's the thing. Like, this game script could go all types of ways, honestly. Like, you could, you could you know, sell me that if Rodriguez is healthy, this is a big Rodriguez game or a big Will Levis game or, you know, it, like either phase of either team because they can be kind of, both teams can be, let me try to think about to say this. I don't ever think they're really balanced but they kind of decide what they're going to be. Like, they're like, oh, today we're going to be a great rushing offense. Today we're going to be a great passing offense. And they kind of flip a coin based on what they see. So I, I do think that the... Um I do think that the home field and the temperature does favor Kentucky. And, like, we're, we're big Kentucky guys, obviously. Not that we're anti-Tennessee, but you'd really like to see Kentucky pull this one off and kind of, I hate to say save the season, but it's like they just got to land the plane on this one. Like, they, they yeah. started off really hot. They beat Florida. Obviously, the Georgia game was a little bit of a, you know, that's Georgia. What They're beating everybody. Uh, last week was rough, man. And hopefully they can steady this ship and not be the bad Stoops team that just gives the ball away and doesn't know what it's doing on offense. And... Against the Josh Heupel team, you know what I'm saying? That could be the perfect thing because, you know, they don't want the ball either. So someone has to possess the ball in this game. <laughs> That's the thing. To, to get your time of possession up, cold and playing Josh Heupel are two huge factors. Yeah, the uh, so they are take what the defense gives you offenses, yes. not impose your will offenses. Exactly, Connor. Exactly. I got you. I got you. Let's talk Florida and, and South Carolina. Florida's an 18 and a half point favorite. The over-under is two and a half references to the word recruiting on the broadcast. In case you somehow missed it, Dan Mullen was asked about recruiting during Florida's Monday press conferences, Monday press conference. Let's actually put the clip in right now of Dan Mullen basically saying, um, yeah, we're recruiting. We're going to talk about that later. Let's put that clip in there right now. Coach, the topic of recruiting has come up a lot the last couple of days from a few angles. Uh, is it a different approach needed for uh, the level no. of consistency? Well, we're, we're in the season right now. We'll do recruiting after the season. When it gets this recruiting time, we can talk about recruiting. Will, is it fair to say that I'm someone who tries to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I usually attempt to consider all sides of an argument before just jumping in? Yes, you're a big time, big time, um, not like devil's advocate, but like let's try to see where everyone's coming from type of guy. I looked at this clip and I thought about it a lot. Try like, to be the Dan Mullen advocate, but I, I try to consider all sides of this. Like, hey, if you're Mullen, you have a December press conference strictly devoted to talking about recruiting. And if you've got a show cause like Dan Mullen currently does, and that runs until September, maybe you don't want another misstep to get in even more trouble from the NCAA. Sure maybe that was cause. your thinking. That is like underreported. That's, that's actually a good point. Yeah. 
so if that's kind of your thinking, you don't want to necessarily say a recruit's name, you don't want to do something that you're not supposed to do, get your program in even deeper trouble. Like, all right, that's kind of your mindset when you come across that way. And Dan Mullen since said in his Wednesday SEC coaches teleconference that he was taken out of context and that's more so what he meant. So that was also, oh, and they also said that the decision to cancel media availability was made before the week, mm. even though it wasn't announced until the Monday press conference, which ended abruptly. So take that for what it is. Um, okay, the problem, that shouldn't be your thinking. Recruiting is the lifeblood and the exact reason that your fans are beyond pissed off after losing by 27 to your biggest rival. Kirby, by the way, had the comment on Saturday about how you can't outcoach recruiting, and he might as well have just said, Mullen's way sucks, mine doesn't. <laughs> God, I love them. That is a rivalry I hope goes on forever, man. The other problem, Dan Mullen only fueled the narrative that he's not all in with recruiting. People aren't necessarily gonna make sure that he that his comment about it being taken out of context makes the rounds in the same sort of way. That's the world that we live in. You realize that besides Georgia, Kentucky, Mizzou and South Carolina currently have 2022 classes that are ranked better than Dan Mullins. Florida's class, as of Monday, when that comment was made, was number nine in the SEC. Do you think that fans, boosters, and recruits wanna hear that you'll talk about recruiting after the season? Early signing periods next month. This is the home stretch. I, I get what you're maybe thinking that you're doing in the back of your mind of like, oh, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna be able to talk about recruits and mention them by name when early signing, early signing period comes, whatever. And you're trying to avoid that. Bizarre, very, very bizarre. In this year in which it seems like the entire state of Florida is taking a hiatus from college football, we'll take a guess how many top 25 recruits from the state of Florida are currently committed to the Gators. Oh, I actually knew this. This is weirdly a stat that I knew. Don't overthink it. No, is it zero? <laughs> it's zip, it's nada, zilch, goose egg. That sucks, man. And the weird thing is that if you're coaching a four and four team who just got destroyed by your rival, you should be praying that you get to talk about recruiting instead of the product on the field. All you have is the future, yep. that's it. Peddling instead, hope, a hope merchant, as we've said before. That should be your main point of emphasis, man. Like, that's not something I should have to explain. Instead, Dan Mullen treated that question about recruiting like I would if Lauren asked me to fix the string trimmer during the middle of a college football Saturday. <laughs> oh, I'll get to it later. Man, this is Florida. That is not good enough. LSU doesn't even have a football coach for beyond 2021 and has a better class than Florida, where there's and more talent than anywhere in the country. And they have a top 25 in Florida. I was just looking that up. <laughs> Neil Blackman wrote this great open letter to Mullen that everyone should go check out on SaturdayDownSouth.com. If you haven't, definitely do so because Neil just hit the nail on the head. And it basically said something that I think is just so spot on with Mullen. If there's anyone who should know the Gator standard, it's Mullen. The fact that he seems so unaware of how he comes across is mind boggling to me. It's weird for a team to cancel its availability all week at this stage of the season in week 10 and citing that there's too much to do. And I know that he did an interview with Edgar Thompson or the Orlando Sentinel uh, on Tuesday to just kind of try and clear the air. At least it seemed like when he realized he stepped in it. Mm -hmm. Dan Mullen gets paid $7.6 million a year and he seems incredibly uncomfortable with having his football brain question. But that's sort of par for the course for a preseason top 15 team who is two and four in SEC play. 
Mullen just doesn't quite get it, and that's what this comes down to. Will, is there anything that you want to add to that? Um, no, I feel like I've, I've done enough on Mullen. I, mean, I, think, I think you nailed it. <laughs> right. it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, like I said, man, just like, got to kind of open your eyes and be like, all right, well, you've been told there's all these conspiracy theories about recruiting with Florida that like, you know what I'm saying, the, the sites don't like the Florida players and like all this different stuff. It's like, this dude doesn't like recruiting and he's not good at it. It's pretty much that simple. And he's a great, you know, he's a, he is an elite offensive coordinator. And as a Saints fan, I know exactly what that looks like. The best version of that ever is Sean Payton, where it's just like, okay, you are really good at calling plays and you're like and a great you're great at that and you're great at like other things but whenever you know the saints have issues in the postseason it's usually like head coaching things and like that's usually yep. what gets mullen it's like like the show cause thing is a great example it's like how, that how did you do that like you don't even really like you don't recruit your butt off like you don't like break all the like what you're talking about with samson in indiana that's essentially trying too hard like the the, the mullen thing wasn't trying too hard it was just not really knowing the rules like it's just it's interesting the good news for Dan Mullen this week, despite the fact that he has found a way to make himself a distraction instead of hunkering down, which is probably what his mindset was when he when they canceled availability for players and coaches the rest of the week. But the good news is that South Carolina is not Georgia. <laughs> no idea if Anthony Richardson plays. Not sure it matters that much. I think Todd Grantham's defense should be able to bully the Gamecock offensive line, and we have no idea if Zabulia Noland or Jason Brown is starting a quarterback. So who knows what's going to look like a quarterback. One would think Florida should still have the advantage playing that game at williams Bryce. I'll just kind of blindly take Florida to win and cover 28-7. to seven. I don't know. Those poor Gamecocks, we'll man. We just want great things for South Carolina, and they just do not have the dudes for it right now. Let's uh, hopefully, you know, next year, year after, they'll figure it out. Year zero. We're going we're gonna to double oh, yeah. it for Shane Beamer. LSU-Alabama. Alabama's a 28.5 point favorite. Will, I saved this one for last for you. Just to kind of, you know, like when you're when you're at the dentist's office when you're a kid and you're with your siblings and you're like, do you want to go first or last? This is like that. We should have gone first. <laughs> we should have gone first. Oh, we should have gone first. I hate waiting. The over-under I have is four and a half Bryce Young touchdowns. Bryce Young should go off against the Scooter Squad. The Scooter um, Gang. They lost, uh, they lost your boy Flot as well. Oh, um, I know. I know. I'm sorry. You're getting a root canal, Will. <laughs> oh, sorry. This great week continues. Hey, at least I won't be able to follow along on Twitter this week. Good point. Great point. Hey, that's a positive spin if I've ever seen one. Four of five LSU starters in the secondary out this game. Wait, is the one I'm that's little... still there Jay Ward? Oh, I think so. Oh, of course it is. Gosh, I've lost track. They'll they'll get him a scooter by the end of the game, probably. Like, hurt or not hurt. They'll just find a way to get him part of the scooter game. Um, The only thing I'm worried about with Bryce Young in this game is is him continuing to take some of these hits. Already taken 17 sacks this year, and that doesn't include those plays where he rolls out way outside of the pocket, plants his feet, and steps into a throw, and then just gets kind of drilled afterwards. He is not built like Malik Willis, Sam Howell, but... I still think this is a very favorable matchup for him. That's why that spread is so massive. A bye week couldn't really fix LSU's defensive issues. And something tells me that a certain Nick Saban, who congratulations, turning he turned 70 on Halloween, which we forgot to say on this year podcast. Oh, well, everybody else did. Um, belated birthday, happy belated birthday, Nick Saban. Something tells me a little bit of extra juice after the Ed O'Dron 2019 post-game celebration that Ed O'Dron addressed actually this week and said, you know, ideally that stuff wouldn't come out. It did, didn't mean any disrespect. 
that doesn't matter. It got out. It's disrespect. <laughs> it's, it's, it is crazy though to think about how different things were to just two years ago. And at the same time, we knew, we kind of knew then that it didn't seem like a good idea to poke the beast that way. Um, not a fan of when that stuff gets out, but sometimes that, that happens. It's fun to look back at the skill position talent in that game. 10 skill players in that game went in round one, six of which were receivers, one of which did not have the best sort of week and don't know what a certain Henry Ruggs is going to be doing for his NFL future. Yikes, not ideal there. Ugh, that situation is really ugly. But anyways, a lot of skill player talent in that game. I'm gonna be honest. I don't know that there is a surefire first round skill player in this game, especially with Keishon Butte not playing in this game. Mm -hmm. Bryce Young probably still a ways off from being evaluated in that way because obviously he can't even go to the NFL after this year. Not sure if he's going to get the Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield treatment with his lack of height. Those guys are also a bit bigger with the, the lower half and all those different things. Not to get too draft drafty or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I just don't think Mechie is really a first round guy. So I'd say the, the 2022 draft will probably lack a first round skill player from this game. Now that's insane. That That's actually, that's yeah. got to be the first time that's happened like... I don't know why life. Yeah. Ridley, Ridley as well, and then like not, I mean Beckham kind of before that. Yeah, like, they would usually trade those, years where it'd be like, you know. Cooper. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, that's, oh, I should have looked that up. That would have been good to know. Um, this is the first time since 2006 they're not playing SEC on CBS. Sometimes night game, sometimes afternoon game. This game, not quite good enough. Lacking a little bit of juice. Thank God. It's lacking some juice. The other day I was talking about the Florida Georgia game and I said losing on the 330 game is like losing in front of all the baddies at school. Like if you're just trash in a pickup basketball game, like, you know, like if it's like lunch or recess or whatever and you're like, you're in a pickup basketball game and you just get crossed up and everyone's like, ooh, and you're like, man, I got to deal with this for the rest of the day. Yeah, that's like, it's always worse. That's, that's what losing the 330 game is because everybody's watching. So I'm glad that we can just die in silence. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> I think. Hey man, go back to your Bryce Young thing. He needs to get on the Bonex workout regimen to where he gets the. He needs to get on some deadlifts and some squats, and he might be a first round guy. I don't know. I mean, I'm, it, would, it would be shocking to me if Bryce Young went, you know, second round, just the way people evaluate quarterbacks. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think this is going to be a terrible game. I just wouldn't watch it, fellas. <laughs> anyone? I, I might go camping. I don't know. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Just, I don't blame you. This is going to be terrible. I mean, yeah, it's, it's figure. It's one of those things where it's like, I mean, so well, we'll, we'll make fun of Coach o a little bit. Did you see his press conference where he he basically threw all of his coordinators under the bus? I can't believe he would ever take shots at assistance. That's such a crazy concept. I've never heard him do that before. Yeah, it's it's, it's this crazy. Is my shocked face. We've been running the same defense for two years that was terrible after he scared Randolph, and it's suddenly the, all the new assistants fault now. But yeah, he was basically just saying like it was a. I'll, I'll send you the clip. It was so chaotic because someone asked him a question about scouting, and he was like, "Oh, uh, well, first off, they're a really good team," and they corrected him. They go self scouting. He goes, "Oh." Well, <laughs> it was like, Difference. oh, we're not actually a really good team. Don't write that down. Uh, it's just like, okay, yeah. Um, he kind of kind of like goes into like, okay, well, we we are too boring. We don't have enough pre-snap motion. Which Coach O, famous fan of pre-snap motion, suddenly, but loves him some Matt Canada. Yeah, exactly. It's, oh, the jokes write themselves. Yeah, he's just you know sometimes you just you know you gotta walk it like you talk it, as the Migos say, and Coach O talked it. And here he is, getting dog walked. So you just, you hate to see it for him. Uh, like I said, I'll probably be 
probably, hopefully I'll make it, you know, halfway through the third quarter of this one because LSU is going to be getting destroyed and we're not going to really learn anything because they don't even have any players that are coming off the bench that we're going to learn about because those guys are starting. Uh, so it's just going to be a bad game. I'm just not excited about it. This is, we, we joke, I have often joked about, and I'm very, and you've heard me, very realistic about Alabama. Um, shout out Saban's uh, 70th birthday. Me and my mom used to have a joke that Saban would be coaching until he's 100 and would be Darth Saban kind of like Darth, Sa Darth Vader, yeah. where his consciousness would be uploaded into a robot. And we're really, we're getting near that. Uh, but point being, I, if I thought in 2010 that I would still be having these same conversations. <laughs> anyway, so point being, um, yeah, like, I, I, um, I think that like, hold on, I lost my train of thought. Well, I, here, I'm gonna make a suggestion for you. Yeah. Play, play NBA Jam yes. during this. Yes. You have NBA Jam in your office. The all-time best arcade game, uh, Golden Tee's up there as well, yeah. probably. Play NBA Jam during this. Don't worry about the Twitter machine, those issues. Just have yourself a time. Um, take your mind off this one, because I think it's gonna be ugly. I think Bama wins 45 to 14. Oh, I know what I was gonna say, the, the line. Uh, so the line on this one is like obviously absurd, and it just kind of goes to see like kind of how bombed out LSU is. And I think that they have like some good players, obviously, um, but those guys aren't playing like we were talking about. So I don't know, it's, it's very interesting to see where LSU is gonna go from here. They do have some pretty big holes in their roster that shows like, I mean, the 2019 roster was obviously, you know, I, I think the best college football team of all time, but the way that they've lost almost everything from that, this is going to be, you look at this line, this is going to be a little bit of a rebuilding job in Baton Rouge. And I don't think people want to hear that, but something like this goes to show that, like I said, you have these young guys that I think are good, but I don't know if there's enough there. There's not enough depth and it's going to take a couple of really good classes. And we thought that was one thing Gojo was good at, but can't see it. We, uh, we will set the, set the bar very, very low for LSU in this game. Yep. Lock of the week as I said the other day, was a point away from Oregon covering 23 and a half against Colorado. Uh, that did not happen. So I don't know why I just slipped into Severus Snape there, but we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're at five and five of the year. Uh, that's all right. We're going to be making money again, back over 500 in no time because we're going with Coastal Carolina. Friend of the show, Jamie Chadwell, 19 and a half point favorite against Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern just hired Clay Helton, very random, but he's not going to be there on Saturday when those teams face off. Coastal had the Appalachian State loss, but besides that, five of their seven wins by at least 27 points. Georgia Southern, two and six with an interim coach. All right. Coastal Carolina, first in FBS in yards per play, 8.45. That is almost a first down every single time they snap the football. Grayson McCall Jeez. having a really, really good year. FBS leader in quarterback rating at 216, 30 points ahead of CJ Stroud in second. Making some great decisions. That's what he does. Yeah, thirty. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't math there. We need to either like get rid of college QBR or like or passer rating. Yeah. Or like it's weird. Or we either need to have a class on it where we all like require to get certified in it, or just get rid of it because like the NFL one is very very easy to me. I get it. I'll hear a college it's out of hundred. What's up? Right? Or, no, NFL's out of 100, it's out of 160, right? It's a uh, 182.5 or 183.5 is like a perfect okay. game, and there's only you know there's been a couple of those like. Manning and Barry, like great quarterbacks have had them, but that's what you're grading out of. Here it's like, I don't even, I think it's open-ended anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. I always get confused looking at it. I don't know the, the formula behind it, but whatever. He's very good at it. It's, I think it usually rewards efficiency. People always say it doesn't factor in rushing the way that it should, but eh, whatever. I guess that's what ESPN made up, QBR, and just let us all to believe that QBR and FPI are things that we should take seriously. Whatever the case, Coastal wins, Coastal covers in this game. Jamie Chadwell gets me back on track. 
All right, let's go to my interview with Andrea Carter. Andrea is doing a lot of different things within the ESPN family, and especially um, within the SEC Network family as well. She's the co-host of Out of Pocket with our good friend Alyssa Lang. Andrea is doing sideline reporting this year. Like I said earlier, she'll be in Oxford this Saturday for the Hugh Freeze reunion. Talked a little bit about that, a little bit about her career, and a bunch of other stuff. So here is Andrea Carter. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest, a first-time guest, in fact. It is SEC Network's Andrea Carter. At least I, I think it is. How can I be sure that I'm not actually speaking to Marcus Spears right now? <laughs> well, I, uh, I've i got my Marcus Spears impression like so down pat that I could do it at any time, but this is Andrea Carter. <laughs> <laughs> that costume was incredible. Give me, give me the backstory. When did you decide you were doing it? How much did you... How much time did you have to spend breaking down his mannerisms and all that? Because like you said, I mean, you've got it down pat. Yeah, well, so Monday we have our like production meeting for the show where we just like throw out ideas and stuff. And, you know, they were like, well, it's it's the last show before Halloween. You know, do you guys want to dress up? And Alyssa uh, said she was going to be Steve Spurrier. And I was like, you know, I want to be someone in the football world. I've always enjoyed Marcus. Um, he's just been in my corner for a long time. And. Uh, I watch NFL Live all the time because I really like uh, just just hearing more football talk. You know, since I started covering football, just hearing the way they speak about the game, hearing their takes, hearing you know the analysis and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, I'm I'm going to be Marcus Spears, and um, I did call him uh, to get approval. I was like, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pillow in my shirt, like I'm gonna put a suit on, like glass. What do you think? And he was like, oh, I'm all for it. So I did get his blessing before I just completely went for it. Um, and it was awesome. I watched NFL Live, which I always do, but I just would repeat some of the stuff that he would say. And then once I did that uh, on Monday, then Tuesday, I just kind of walked around saying random things. Like I would say something to my cats or I would say something about the weather and I just would use his accent. And it's just, I didn't rehearse anything specifically that I was going to say, but I just started speaking in his voice and tone and i think it uh, i think it landed so it was good it absolutely landed it was it was so good it's been <laughs> it's been it's been fun to kind of watch you know some of the stuff that you guys have been able to to do on out of pocket your new role this year co-hosting with our good friend Alyssa lang and i don't know if there is anything more out of pocket than talking kentucky football with waka flocka like how, how in the world did that whole thing come about <laughs> oh. with him getting on the show you know what? Shout out to like our producers and just like our bosses on that show are incredible. Like we literally just got a text from our producer and they were like, uh, and I guess our just the acquisition team and everyone that's a part of just getting guests. Um, they just messaged us and they were like, Hey, we've got Waka. Like, do y'all, y'all want him? And we were like, absolutely. Like, yes, we do. We'd love to talk to him. Um, and cause he's a Georgia boy too. So like, it was just interesting all around. And then it was Waka Flocka. So, and he was great when we had him on the show, that whole show was actually a lot of fun. Um, but we have a, we have a blast and honestly, like, our producers and everyone that works on the show, they're just so open. Like they just, they listen to me and Alyssa, our ideas, they have great ideas. Everyone's just so creative and uh, it doesn't feel like we're in a box at all, which has been a lot of fun. I'm not sure if people at home realize this, but you've carved out a, a unique path within the, the ESPN family. Like it, it's one thing to be a former athlete with an on-air role, but you grew up dreaming of playing for Pat Summit 
and you get to play at Tennessee and we'll, we'll get to, you know, pat some of that, that whole, like the way that all that kind of went down uh, in a little bit, but you still get to go to Tennessee, you play basketball there, but now in addition to being a women's basketball analyst for ESPN, you're going to do a little bit of everything at, at SEC Network, including yeah. sideline reporting, football games, but you were also like a former fitness coach somewhere in there. Like how, how in the world yeah. did you get into the role <laughs> yeah. that you have now? Um, God, it was kind of crazy, honestly. So when I finished um, college, I finished school, like I stopped playing in 2016, but I had a year left of my master's program, right? Because I graduated with my bachelor's in three years. So then my fourth year, I started my master's. So I had one more year to finish my master's. And so Tennessee, um, I, you know, got accepted into a grad assistant program in the academic athletics department. And so I was finishing grad school and a lot of people were just like, Hey, you should look into getting the TV. Like you have a great voice and Maria Taylor, LaChina Robinson, just a, a ton of people that I connected to while I was a player. And I would kind of pick their brain and I went to the SEC tournament and would see them. And, you know, I was just like, okay, I'll try it. And Tennessee, honestly, their whole ball for life films crew, um, they let me be the analyst for like the ESPN three games, like the ESPN plus or ESPN three. They just let me be the analyst and they worked with me and we watched film and we did some practice sessions and I was terrible, but they were encouraging. And uh, I remember after my first game being like, there's no way I'm going to do this. Like, this is hard. It's I'm terrible. Like it was just so rough. And then just, I got more and more games under my belt. I think I did like three or four and then my assistant coach, I'm going to make the story shorter because it's really long. My assistant coach. No, tell, uh, tell all the details. <laughs> well, my assistant coach, Kyra Elzey, um, ended up going back and coaching at Kentucky the, the year that I was finishing my grad school program. And so she calls me one day and she's like, hey, our analyst is out. Uh, we play Mississippi State tomorrow. Uh, can you come do the game? This is 2016. And so. I'm like, can I drive to Lexington tomorrow and do the game? Luckily, I already knew the players. Like, I knew Victoria Vivian's, Pierre McCowan. It was Michaela Epps' senior year. Like, I just, I was like, yeah, I mean, I can talk about those players. Of course, I played against them last season. And so I drive up to Lexington the next day. Well, I email my teacher, actually, and I'm like, listen, I'm not going to be in class tomorrow. Told her why. She was good with it. So I drive to Lexington, drive in. I do the game. It was a ton of fun. The game goes to overtime. And mind you, Mississippi State that year is ranked. This is the Mississippi State team that went to the Final Four, right? So Mississippi State is ranked, like top ten. Kentucky is – I don't know if they're ranked, but no one is expecting them to win, right? And so the game goes to overtime. And I think that if people weren't watching the game, they tuned in when it went to overtime. And so that game, people were like, who is the analyst? Like, who is this talking? Like, what? And so – once people heard me on that game, there was kind of like a big push. Like, hey, you need to get yourself in front of Pat Lowry, who's my boss. You need to get yourself in front of Pat. You need to do this. Like, you need to. I just had so much. I've said this before, but it was almost like so many people have been in my corner from the beginning that it's it's almost been seemingly, like, impossible for me to not do well because I've just had so much support. Um, it, it's crazy. And so it's wild. So I emailed Pat Lowry. And I'm like, hey, you know, I had some online games. Um, I think I, like, maybe sent her a clip of something or whatever. And I was like, is there any way we could meet at the SEC tournament? It was in Greenville. And, um, she was like, yeah, I've got five minutes of time, you know, in the hotel lobby after the games if, if you want to meet up. And so I literally just drive to Greenville. And then the first night, I just slept in my car. Um, because I, I was I, like, 
I didn't have any money. Yeah, I didn't have any money. So I was like, I drove down to Greenville. I slept in my car. The second day that I was there, uh, a friend of a friend that I didn't know, but I knew their mutual friends, all kind of all in the Lady Ball fan sphere. Um, one of my good friends was like, hey, you can actually stay with them. So then I, I stayed in this hotel room and just slept on like, the hotel couch of these people I didn't know, which I wouldn't recommend, but they were really nice. Um, so anyway, I basically get down to Greenville. I end up speaking with Pat, and the conversation goes from five minutes to, like, an hour, right? Like, we're in the lobby just really, really connecting, and, like, while we're there, Nikki Fargus walks up and says hi to me, and Nell Fortner walks up and says hi, Mickey DeMoss, and, like, all these just people in the women's basketball space that either recruited me or knew me or whatever, like, they're just, we're all just kind of talking, and so then Pat was like, all right, so the SEC championship game, you're going to sit in the production truck with me. Uh, Mississippi State playing South Carolina, and she's kind of just asking me questions. She's like, well, you know, what do you think they're going to run here? And I'm like, well, you know, maybe Victoria Vivian's coming to the corner based on out-of-bounds player. She's like, what What do you think they should do? And I was like, it looks like they need to switch to a zone, but I don't think they're going to because they haven't played zone this year. You know, just like picking my brain in that sense. And that was, God, that was 2017 in the spring. And after that, Pat was like, all right. You know, uh, in December, next this next season, um, I'll give you two games on TV. Like, not online. I'll give you two games on the SEC Network. And if you do well, then I'll give you more. Um, and I actually keep a huge Excel document of every assignment I've ever had, like, just with ESPN. And so I think my first year I did 10, and then my second year I did 17. And the third, Like, I just, I just got more and more from there, and it went from – being an in-game analyst and they tried me in the studio and then they assigned me to G league sideline reporting and then, and this, and, and it just, it just like, I can't even explain how it, it literally just took off, like just blew up from there. That's, that's incredible. And one of the things that I, I think is sometimes we as consumers forget is just that, that trial and error process of what it takes to, to do the sideline gig or to be a color analyst or whatever. Like I've talked to, I just talked to Jordan Rogers and Cole Kublik about that, about the reps that they needed to get and how, you know, when they start with SEC yeah. Network, it's yeah. kind of like, hey, we're going to try out an SEC alternate and we're just going to kind of go from there. And if you handle it, great. But it's, it's all about making mm-hmm. the most of your opportunity. And you you clearly have done that. And now in this role where, you know, on a weekly basis, you're getting to be on the sidelines for SEC football games. What was that process like going from somebody who you obviously know basketball extremely well, but to have to, like, right. learn all the ins and outs of being able to sideline important and, and do these football games? Yeah, so luckily I had, like, a little bit of experience, meaning two events. I had the SEC tournament and I had the G League showcase um, where I sideline reported and it was a lot of games. And so... I kind of got a feel for it um, there, but then, you know, this coming up this season, I honestly thought they would give me like three or four games, right? Because I've never done football before. Um, This would be my biggest stuff for sideline reporting. And, you know, I think that very luckily for me, the the powers that be and the decision makers just, I I guess, kind of decided to take a chance on me and gave me a full a full crew and a full season of football. Um, and it's been incredible, you know, like it's been amazing. I kind of put it out there that I wanted to do football and sideline reporting. Uh, my dad was a football coach um, and I went to a really, really big football high school, Buford high school. It's in Georgia and football was just huge in our community. And so I, I know football. 
I have a really curious mind and I know enough to recognize trends and patterns. I grew up watching it. So I, I know about it and I felt like I knew enough to ask the right questions and I felt like I knew enough to be able to, you know, deduct what's happening in the game and, and ask questions about it. And I think that's kind of the good thing about the sideline reporting role is that really is what I'm doing. I'm reporting on what I see. I'm reporting on what I observe or hear or, you know, and I'm asking questions about it and, and I can listen to Deuce, who's my analyst, and I can take what he's saying, you know, like in, in our game last week against Missouri, he he kept kind of reiterating that, you know, they were having, Vanderbilt was having success on the edge. You know, not running up the middle, but they were having success on the edge. They were having success in the option, and I could see that. And so, you know, it automatically sparks a question when I have the Missouri coach, I have Coach Drinkwitz, I'm like, you know, how do you stop, you know, what the success that they've had on the edge, right? So it just kind of like, I had enough knowledge of the sport, um, and all I wanted was like a chance to kind of show it, and they gave me a full season, which I'm really thankful for. Um, it's been awesome, really. So you grew up in Georgia, but you were a Tennessee Hoops fan. Does that mean you grew up a Tennessee <laughs> football fan instead of a Georgia football fan? So I really, this is going to be crazy, but in my household, my dad was an Ohio State fan. So I actually okay. grew up saying O-H-I-O um, and like watching that, uh, watching Ohio State football. Um but no, I really wasn't like a college football fan. I would just watch all the games. Like I watched everything. Anything my dad was watching, I was watching it with him. Um, but did I did very much grow up a Tennessee Lady Ball basketball fan. Like Red Pat's books, my Nana, who is my favorite person in the world, she passed when I was in school, but she loved Candace Parker. We would watch Candace's games. It's it's wild because now that I'm now I'm friends with Candace and I know my Nana's probably just like I don't know, doing backflips in her grave with excitement. Um, but but we grew up just watching Candace, watching Catch, watching Tennessee. Um, and so it was just a dream of mine. You know, like growing up, my my bedroom was blue and my bathroom was orange. It's super tacky now that I think back on it. But um, that was where I wanted to go. So it was kind of always a, a thing for me. But football, not so much. I became a Tennessee football fan when I was, you know, spending four or five years in Neyland Stadium. It kind of just gets put into your blood. So take me back to April of 2012. Uh, Pat Summit steps down. You're a senior in high school having yeah. already signed your letter of intent and you knew that you were gonna go to Tennessee since you were seven. I, I imagine that when a legend of that stature says, hey, I'm not gonna be your coach anymore, you had to have had some second yeah. thoughts about just the Tennessee experience, e even though, like I said, like you already had signed the letter of intent. What was that, that process like finding all that out? Yeah, that was kind of, it was kind of crazy that, you know, I called my dad. Um, it seems to be a recurring theme in my stories here, but uh, <laughs> I called him and he was like, well, you know, what are you going to do? Like, what, what does your gut tell you right now? Are you going to, you're going to open this up or are you going to, you're going to stick with it? And for me, I committed to Tennessee as a sophomore in high school. So, um, you know, I started getting my first offers really early in eighth grade, um, which I think is more common now. It's not, not that big of a feat, but I, um, so I committed in 10th grade. So 10th grade, 11th grade and 12th grade, I only talked to Tennessee. I only visited Tennessee. I only went to Knoxville. So for me, I, I was like, I don't even know anything else. Like, I'm, I don't know what other programs, obviously I watched games and turn the tournament and stuff, but I just, all I knew was Knoxville and all I knew was Tennessee. And I remember when Pat called me, she was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do as much as I can and I'll be around as much as I can. And, um, 
I think for me, I tore my ACL my senior year in high school and they stuck with their commitment to me, which meant a lot, you know? And so for, for me, there was really no doubt that I was going to still go to the university of Tennessee. It was just such a, it was such a thing for me. Like there was, there was really no other option, like with or without Pat, I wanted to be a lady ball. And so obviously, you know, Pat stepping down was hard and it was um, much different of an experience than I, than I did imagine. Um, but still a great experience nonetheless. So uh, I really stuck with it. I called Ariel Massengale and Sierra Burdick, who I was really close with uh, just from like USA basketball camps. And I talked to them and they were like, yeah, let's, let's go. We we're we're still in this. We're staying. We're, we're all here. Um, so I stuck with it. Be honest, though, and set your limitations. It's up so you can just admit this on these airwaves. Gino Auriemma sent you a text <laughs> being like, hey, you're rethinking this, right? <laughs> no, so Gino did not. I. It's funny, everybody, uh, everyone's like, like, oh, you have to hate UConn, and, and I did it. UConn was like my second school that I was really uh, wanting to go to. I was really close with um, Coach Marissa Mosley, um, who's no longer there, um, and Coach Shay Ralph. She recruited me as well. Um, who's now at Vanderbilt, which is incredible. I just saw her um, and Marissa's at Wisconsin, and I saw them over the summer. Um, so UConn was in my top for sure, um, but it was honestly just too far and too cold. Like I could not bring myself to – the SEC basketball tournament was pretty much in my backyard for two years. Like it just – there was just no way I was going to not play in the SEC, so – yeah, take one drive through Stores, Connecticut, and compare it to a drive through the state of Tennessee. <laughs> and you're like, what am I doing? There's no, there's no way you would ever reconsider that. Um, I, I, yeah, I know no. you didn't play for, but what's uh, what's maybe your favorite Pat Summit story? Oh man, you know, I I said this one before, but the first time I talked to Pat, um, I'm a very like emotional person. Like I was, I always have been, even as a kid growing up, and so. I was so nervous to call her. I remember like having tears in my eyes. Like I was just so overwhelmed the first time that I was calling her and I think she could sense it. So I answered the phone and I said, you know, Hey, Hey coach summit. It's, it's Andrea Carter. And she said, Hey player, Andrea, you can just call me Pat. And like just immediately kind of took that weight and nervousness. Like she just immediately kind of brought herself down to my level, um, which I thought was just incredible. Um, I think her humility, her stern looks, but then the way that she, you know, really cared for you. Um, I seen my freshman year when I ended up having to miss the rest of the season with my shoulder. I remember her just like hugging me because um, she was at the practice when we told the team and she was kind of in the circle. And I remember her just like putting her arm around me and just telling me it was going to be okay and that she really felt for me. And like, I felt it. I felt like this woman who has everything in the world going on, obviously, and, and then some with, her diagnosis and everything still she still had a way of making me feel like I was important to her um and I hadn't even played for her right she just was recruiting me and we just got close through that process and so um I think that was probably she just made me feel important with everything she had going on I still felt important um and you know I speak for myself obviously but I think she did that for a lot of people you know, it's I, I go back to the Bo Jackson told the story about how 
when Bear Bryant gave him a call on his home phone number, like people from the neighborhood came to look at the phone because Bear Bryant <laughs> called that phone. And I imagine there was probably yeah. a little bit like that for you where it's like, oh my gosh, like especially as somebody who grew up idolizing Pat Summit, to have that experience, you had to just be on cloud nine after that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And honestly, there were two times like that for me with Pat. Um, one of my high school teammates um, was, her name's Ayana. She was a huge Tennessee fan. Like, she was probably more of a Tennessee fan than I was. And so one summer, we were on the bus, and I reached out to Pat, and I was like, hey, is there any way, you know, you could say hi to my high school teammate? Um, and she did. Like, she let me call her. She said hi. My teammate was freaking out, like, still talks about it to this day. Um, and did the same thing for one of my cousins, Alexa, who was a huge Tennessee fan. I was just like, listen, um, is there any way you could say hi to my cousin? I promise I won't keep doing this. And she did it then too, um, which I thought was really cool. That's like the ultimate name drop to be able to say that. I mean, you can't waste those opportunities <laughs> when they come up like that. I don't blame you at all. You know, some of the college right. basketball, she, she's, she's almost like what, what Saban currently is to college football, kind of a different sense because of the way that Summit impacted Title IX and, and the breakthrough for women's right. sports. But with Summit, with, with Summit, we said that when she retired, there's never going to be another like her. And when Saban retires, when that's like 20 years from now or something, because he's not human, I think will say that there will never be another quite like Saban. Have you had any interactions with him yet? And do you kind of get like similar vibes to, to the way that they operate? No, I, so I haven't had any interactions with uh, Nick Saban. I, uh, it's so funny. Someone asked me this the other day and I was like, I'm just getting started. Like me covering Alabama is probably a long way away and I'm completely okay with that. Like I'm really good with uh, earning my time um, like a hundred percent. But I think that, just in hearing, you know, his players talk about him and just the way that he communicates roles very effectively and the way that he just communicates in general and also brings out, you know, the best in people. Um, you know, the story about having players change positions and them not wanting to, but it leading to great success down the road. Like stuff like that where um, there's genuine care about the players, who they are as people, but also what I think the coach sees that can lead to them being successful that the player might not see at the time. I think that those are some similarities when I think about Pat um, and, and coach Saban for sure. What's the, uh, the mood of the Tennessee fan base now with Josh Heupel year one compared, compared to like when you went to school and it's the Butch Jones era and it was kind of all over the place. Oh man. You know, I think that, I think Tennessee fans are really excited. Like I, it's, it's hard to speak for an entire fan base, obviously, but it's the fans that I've talked to and interacted with and that, you know, interact with me on Twitter and, and stuff like that. They're very much like, man, we see it. We see it coming. You know, we're excited. You know, the guys are playing hard. It's, it's exciting again because it's exciting football to watch. You know, um, I think that that's the fun part. I think that the players are really bought in, which is exciting uh, for the fans. And, you know, I think that there's a definite energy about Tennessee football. Like the fans are, it's, they're packing the place out. And it's just, I don't know. I think when I was there, maybe what was our best season? You know, like 15 and 16. I think we were nine and four those years, maybe. Kind of broke even in the conference, made it to a bowl. I think 14, 15, and 16, we ended up winning, winning bowls. Um, and like those years felt exciting, right? Like those years were, 
they weren't terrible. They weren't like the greatest years in the world, but they weren't terrible. And I think the excitement now for Tennessee is even more than those years, just from my um, experience so far. No champions of life is going to be said by Josh Heupel. So I think the excitement level probably should stay a little bit higher than what it was with Butch Jones. At least, at least I would hope. You just never know with some of these things, though. We always think we have these things figured out. Um, I'm, I'm always interested in the in-person observations. Like for me, my most noteworthy in-person observation at SEC Media Days was seeing Jordan Davis and realizing that probably next to Shaquille O'Neal, that's the largest human being I think I've ever seen. Um, you've, you've been <laughs> yeah. on the sidelines, like you've been on the sidelines and, and seen all so many of these teams up close this year. What was maybe your, your most noteworthy in-person observation so far? Honestly, um, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, he is, he's big. Like he is a big, and KJ Jefferson, like those two immediately come to my mind. I've had Arkansas a couple of times, but you, when you watch them on the, on the screen and you watch them on the TV, like they look pretty agile and they are, and they're super athletic, but then to see their size, just like the size of their legs and just to think about the weight that they're moving with what they're doing. I, I don't know. They were just bigger much bigger than I um, expected them to be. Like, hands down, um, those two, I think, immediately come to mind. I'm trying to think of who else, like, just... I think, too, just seeing hits in person. Like, when you see somebody hit somebody, and I'm literally right on the sidelines. Like, I remember the Kobe McLean, right? He came in and hit someone so hard. I think he sat out first half of the Georgia State game and then was able to come back played in the second half and he laid this hit and I'm, I'm literally to the right of the Auburn bench and it's coming down towards my side of the field. And he just, he lays a hit and I was like, Oh my gosh, like that was, that was a hard hit. I don't know if that translates on TV and it's just some of those plays that you see and you're just like, these, these guys are nuts. Like these guys are huge. They're big, they're strong. Um, but yeah, person-wise, I think Traylon Burks really. When I saw him, I was like, "Wow, you're you're bigger than I thought you were going to be." Biggest hands too. Like, have you, did you do the side by side with his hands for that comparison yes. yet? Yes, I did the side by side with his hands, and I they gave me a pair of his gloves, and I was like, "This is unreal!" Like, his hands are huge. Nike doesn't even make a size five X glove, so he squeezes into a four X glove, and like breaks the seams of them basically during the games his his hands are ridiculous goodness gracious the game that you're going to be at this week i am so unbelievably jealous we were talking about this off air but you are going to be at liberty old miss which call it the hugh freeze bowl call it the malik willis you know return to the sec whatever you want but you know tom hart we had him on last week and he suggested that they they come up with this um like uh, this pay-per-view service to capture all the stuff that they say off air. And I think we need that for your sideline reporting down on the field this week for all the things that Ole Miss fans are going to say about Hugh Freeze. Would you be interested um, in something like that? <laughs> would I be interested in my own like uh, little side channel where I'm just reporting everything that the fans are saying? Absolutely. I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> I think I think it's going to be it's going to be one of those atmospheres, though, that's just second to none. Like when you prep for something like that, how much do you is is there an is there a line that you have to like tell with some of the Hugh Freeze stuff with with some of the prep and not wanting to get into that storyline? Because I know I've you know, I've literally sat in those production meetings. I know some of those things that that come up. But how much do you have to right. kind of like tell the line with the, the content and the nature of like his exit? 
Um, I think like for me, my job is really easy because I really take a backseat to the analyst and the play-by-play, right? So Deuce and Dave can hash out the history and the, the however much they want to say, they really, they're in the driver's seat as far as that goes. You know, I might, you know, when we have those production calls or even when we have calls with coaches, like a lot of my questions are follow-up questions, right? So if we talk to, you know, Coach Freeze and they do get into it, which I'll literally let them lead the way, um, if I have a follow-up question, I'll ask one. And then really it's like if they get into it in the game, I'm kind of just following their lead. And if I can add, obviously still being, you know, keeping, uh, I don't want to say tastefulness, but, you know, just keeping keeping the lines in mind, I'll, I'll add, right? But um, I think reporting on, on that kind of stuff, really, I kind of lean, especially since it's my first season, I really lean in the direction of, like, less is more, follow the lead of the analyst in the play-by-play, like, just, that's kind of been my mentality that and only being having told something one time, that's kind of my mentality since I started in this field. Um, so I just kind of lean on them, lean in the direction of, uh, of that. And sometimes too, like I'll ask my producer, like, Hey, if we're in a break, I'll be like, Hey, I just heard this, you know, what do you think? And he might be like, Oh yeah, we got to go with it. Or he'll be like, you know, not right now or nah, not a good idea. So luckily like my crew, my producer and, and Dave and Deuce are just really good at kind of being a gauge for that stuff, especially because it's my first year. So sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm not sure. So I just ask. I always, I always ask. I'm the person that I'm not going to do something until I feel good about it, and I'm not going to feel good about it unless I ask. So me keeping things to myself is never, uh, never a problem. Alyssa has found a way to make sure that she gets to eat something delicious on the sidelines every single week. I don't know how she has managed that, but she has. Lauren Sisler, she, she's got the pregame dance moves. We've had her on. We talked to, about that with her. I think we've got to work your basketball skills regularly into the broadcast like some sort of it doesn't have to be organic I don't really care if that's the case but maybe you get like some trainer to stand in front of you so you can give them the crossover have you thought about that type of thing because I think it'd go viral in about two seconds I have not actually it's really interesting that you say that I'm like huh can I dribble the ball on turf maybe um Mm -hmm. you know or like if I had the ball like whoever I interview post game if it's a player i'm like all right you know i throw in the ball and i'm like all right now great game but show me your best basketball move and you know they just freeze and they're like what <laughs> um that that thought that just came to my head after you saying that and i i might look into that all right we'll workshop that we'll workshop that for sure um i, I want to get out <laughs> sure. i want to get you out of the door on uh five rapid fire questions just first thing that comes to mind does that work for you oh man yep i'm ready Nothing, nothing too difficult. Everybody always says that when I when I throw out the idea of like first thing that comes to mind, they think I'm going to ask them like these these crazy deep questions. I promise, I promise it's not. First one is definitely not cardio or strength training. Cardio. Okay, so I'm a runner. I, I'm a I'm a runner. Alyssa tweets out the picture of the post game pizza. You tweet out the picture <laughs> of the post game treadmill. We got to find a happy medium there, right? Like you, you're you're sitting there, like after the adrenaline of a football game, and that that's when you work out. So yes, it's the craziest thing. I did it last week too, and the week before, because I don't really like working out before the game because I would just look crazy. Like unless it's a seven o'clock game, I really just don't have time to get my life together after a five mile run. So, like after the game, 
I literally leave the game. I drive back. I'll eat something like dried fruit or something like light. And I, I like to be a little hungry before I work out or even before I played games in college. Like I like to be a little hungry. I don't know why. So I get back to the hotel, take my makeup off, just wipe it all off, change clothes, grab my water and go straight to the gym. And I just hit start on the treadmill and go. And it has, it's just, or when I was in Arkansas, I ran outside. So I just changed clothes, walked out of the hotel and like took off running. Um, not running. I, I ease into it a little bit. So I was like jogging um, at first, but I, I don't know. I don't know if it's post game adrenaline or what, but my, some of my best five milers have been recently after football games. That's wild. That's, Hey, I think you need to maybe like, maybe that's, that's the new routine during, you know, one of these, one of these sideline shots is just to be able to like sit there and yeah. you're going to eat your dried fruit kind of like one up Alyssa that way. Like she's out here eating ribs and you eat like a piece of kale or something like that. Like take that. See, so, see how everybody is. That's so funny. I've been trying to get Alyssa to come back to orange series. Me, I'm a, you asked about being a fitness coach. I was an orange theory coach before I went full-time with ESPN. And so I had two jobs kind of, but um, Orange Theory, like you have the rower and you have the treadmill and like there's a little bit of waste, but it's not very much. And that's that's me all the way. All right, second one. Do you still have pet snakes? And if so, what do you get out of that relationship besides fear? <laughs> I do, I only have one. He's the same snake that I've had since college. So I'm dating myself, but I've had him for nine years since my freshman year in college. So uh, there's that. Um, I do still have him. He's great. And honestly, people don't believe this until they see him. But I swear he finds ways to communicate with me. We hang out. He's so chill. He's fascinating. What? And I, he is like, and I care for him. Like I'm literally like not giving him life, but I, I'm, I'm his source of everything he needs to live. And I just love him. Like we hang out, we go for, well, yesterday we went for like, I just took him outside. He's just around my neck. We're just walking around my complex and we just hang out. That's the sideline thing. You bring the snake to the sideline and that is the alpha move of alpha moves right there. Interviewing somebody with a snake around your neck. Oh my gosh, that, you're in total control there. I'm, I'm trying to sneak him into the studio and just bring him in and have him without a pocket. Um, but I don't know if I might lose my job and I really enjoy my job. So I think I want to wait. <laughs> I think I'm going to wait on that. I need a little more tenure. Uh, I need a, I need a little more tenure. SEC coach of the year so far is who for you? Uh, this is so tough because I think if Kirby smart goes undefeated, it's, almost impossible to not give an SEC undefeated coach, um, you know, coach of the year. But I think Brian Harson um, and maybe Mark Stoops stand out for me. Most starstruck you've been doing this job was, was when? Oh man, most starstruck doing this job. Like for football? Uh, football or basketball, either way. Hmm. This is uh, most starstruck. That's kind of brutal. Um, I interviewed Roy Williams last year, which was pretty cool. Um, at the the NBA G League tournament, um, he was there watching some of his former players. So I don't. I wouldn't say I was starstruck. Honestly, I'm not gonna lie. I think the most nervous I ever have I've ever been 
my first football assignment was Texas A&M, which I thought was insane. And I had to do a interview with Jimbo Fisher the day before the game. And I think it was just the nervousness of meeting my first football coach, knowing Jimbo Fisher talks really fast and yeah. it being my first, and like knowing it's my first assignment ever. And he's Jimbo Fisher. Like you just, you, you see him everywhere. Right. And so I think I was the most nervous and he was like, yeah, I remember when you played at Tennessee and I don't know if someone told him to say that, but either way Whoa. he said it, I think to make me feel, to make me feel comfortable, which I thought was really cool. And, but I think like I was the most not starstruck, but I was just so nervous going into that. Dang, that's pretty sick. Jimbo just knows exactly who you are. I'm, wow, that's well, that's that's quite the way to get over some nerves. I I know. Now it's great. Like I've had such good experiences talking to all of the coaches so far that it I feel very much like I have my foot in this space, and so the nervousness has gone away. But it's also week ten, so it's taking some time. But it's it's been good. Last question for you. What year will Tennessee beat either Alabama, Florida, or Georgia? Just one of those teams. When will the losing streak stop? Oh, my goodness. What is the streak with Alabama? Like 15 years? Um, something like that. Um, you know, I'm going to say we will beat one of those teams. I don't know which one, but we will beat one of those teams in the next four years, next four years. God, I'd hope so, right? Or else Hypo's gonna probably be out of a job at that point. <laughs> that would be terrible. You know, I think, I think next two, like if it's not next year, like I think we could sneak one up on them. Like we could sneak one up on one of those teams maybe next year. If it's not next year, then like the next year for sure. There's the optimism. They gotta have it. Gotta have it if you're a Tennessee fan these days. I, I think they get Florida next year. Yeah, I, I think that that happens oh. sooner rather than later. Oh. Yeah, Fl I like Florida that. right I like now is Florida right now is uh, kind of in it. It's been uh, it's it's been a rough, been a little bit of a rough week, rough month, rough year, whatever you want to call it. And having seen yeah. the way that things played out on Saturday in Jacksonville, it's like yeah, I could okay, I can see the vault. Like if Tennessee played Florida tomorrow, I think Tennessee would win that football game. But a few weeks ago, now nah, a little bit of a little bit of different circumstances. So that's my nice way of saying I, I think the days of losing. To, to your to your rivals are, are are few and far between. I think so. I think if I had to pick one, it would, I would definitely say Florida at this point um, would be who who Tennessee could beat next year. Uh, Alabama and Georgia maybe it'll take some time. You never know. But um, but yeah, we'll say two years. Never say never. Never say never. Andrea, this has been excellent. Really, really appreciate the time. Best of luck with everything you've got going on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love all of what you guys do. How about this one? I call it bold and bright. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. Bold and brash playoff edition. I don't know that I have anything too bold or too brash after the first rankings. I, I think that I'm a, I should be allowed to just hold on to my preseason take about Cincinnati making the playoff, even though, as I said earlier, uh, that was a big old kick to the teeth night one mm -hmm. for, the, for some of those chances. But I'm gonna say that that still counts as a, a bold and brash sort of prediction. Will, is there anything, and it's totally fine if you don't have anything, I'm putting you on the spot here. Is there any bold and brash playoff prediction that you have Maybe based more so on what you saw after night one. Well, let me ask you this to buy myself a little bit of time. Do you think Michigan State makes it in the end? No. Really? 
I don't, because I think Michigan State loses to Ohio State. No, yeah. Like, but do you think I that think loss would get them up out of there? Yeah, I don't think I don't think eleven and one Michigan State um, without going to the Big Ten Championship is going to make it into the field. I don't think they're going to pull a twenty seventeen Alabama with them. Yeah, and part of that is because. They have the great win, they really do, but by putting them at number three and not at number two, that's basically saying, well, you only have the one win. Right. You got the one, and they don't have any other, and at this point, you know, you would still have Ohio State on the on the schedule, but even the Penn State game, that's not really a big chance for a quality win anymore. So it's kind of just gonna come down to, hey, do you beat Ohio State, do you not beat Ohio State, do you get to the Big Ten Championship? Now, if they lose in the Big Ten Championship, going 12 and one, mm-hmm. that's that's different. But I think they lose to Ohio State. I think Ohio State ultimately gets to Indianapolis and it's gonna have the, the best chance to be able to make it from the Big Ten. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you, you, we talked about it a little bit in the pod, but a uh, late push by Oklahoma is coming. Um, I think that that Oregon pick feels like a little bit of a uh, placeholder. I think I'll be surprised if they make it two or three more weeks. I, I think that that last spot is wide open. So even if you're a Cincinnati fan, it's, it's sad, but you know, it seems like there's a, a free space, like in like in Monopoly or or, or whatever, because it's like boom, like you can just. So yeah, I, I think that Oklahoma, like I said, makes that push, and then Iowa State makes a push. And I think those are the two that are probably fighting in the end. Oklahoma schedule is entirely backloaded. Mm-hmm. Got you got the it's yeah, it's Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. They still have to play. Those are the three teams left. So all of those teams are power five teams with winning records, two of which are currently in the top 15, Baylor and Oklahoma State. So you could theoretically see a scenario which, yeah, I mean, if, if, they, if, if they look good, especially down the stretch, they're gonna continue to rise. But yeah, maybe they are 2014 Florida State. And maybe <laughs> they're just like kind of waiting for it and that day is gonna come soon. It, I mean, you're facing good teams. There's really nowhere to hide at this point if you're Oklahoma unlike when you're on the road in Kansas and they announce to the stadium, hey, just come on in. If you're within the sound of my voice, come hang come out. Hang out. <laughs> Nothing says intense college football atmosphere like that one. Surprised Oklahoma was able to get through it. All right, let's go to the Facebook group. Um, I asked for everybody's bold and brash takes from the first playoff ranking show. Um, Oh, Jeremy Fisher, why do you gotta hurt my feelings like this? Let's start with this one. Jeremy says, for the first time this year, I don't think Cincinnati is in if they win out. Derek Walden had to be really mean and said, and they don't deserve to be. And then Jeremy Fisher responded by saying, but Derek, they beat Notre Dame with a gif of a certain Kevin Malone chuckling. (laughs) I'm just saying, if we're gonna count Notre Dame as a quality win for Georgia, we have to count as a quality win for Cincinnati, all right? Notre Dame was 43-8 and eight in the last three years coming into this season. So just going to throw that out there, but whatever. People are going to have their fun. The thing is, um, if you're an SEC fan and you think Cincinnati's bad, why would you not want them at four? Good point. Good <laughs> like, point. If you think they're frauds and Georgia's going to expose them and you want SEC teams to do well, seems like a pretty, pretty easy take to just keep them in, huh? Are Georgia fans providing the anti-Cincinnati takes because they already saw that play out last year <laughs> and they don't want another down-to-the-wire game and they're scared of the Bear game. No, I'm kidding. Um, maybe, though. You just never know. Uh, Emery Picker says, Neither Ohio team makes the playoff and Oklahoma somehow makes their way into the top four only to keep up the tradition of getting thrashed in the first round. So if that were to happen... Ohio State would need to lose again. You would need probably Oregon to win out and then Oklahoma gets in, right? Like that's that's kind of the scenario mm-hmm. in which you would see that 
where Oklahoma is able to go from, from eight to four, which that's not insurmountable. It's not. Like the first Ohio State team that won a national championship board, they had like 13 in the first rankings or something like that. Like they were very much on the outside looking in. So never say never in the words of the great Mike Tomlin. <laughs> um, but Oklahoma, I'm just still trying to figure out. Still, <laughs> nine, nine games in. Does Oklahoma know knows like what exactly it is at this point, even with Caleb Williams? We're going to find out in these next three weeks here against quality competition. If Oklahoma loses one game, it's not getting in. Like that's that's what that number eight oh, should have oh, showed. Oh, certainly, everybody. yeah. No loss to give whatsoever at all. Um, and then if Ohio State were to not get in, buddy, what a year that would be. Oh, no Ohio State, no Clemson, maybe well, Emory didn't lay that out of like no Alabama as well. I don't know. Maybe everything is setting up well for Georgia. Uh, let's go with. Oh, he got a lot of comments on that one. Yeah, a lot of back. These always forth. these always go off. I'll like wake up to them just being like thirty plus comments. Love it. That's the way to do it. Uh, Charles Charles R Todaro Jr. Can't be confused with senior here. Charles says Bama doesn't make the SEC championship. Oregon loses again. Oklahoma loses Bedlam. Michigan State beats Ohio State. Final four will be Georgia, Michigan State, Cincinnati, Wake Forest. Charles, can I call you Chuck? I'm gonna call you Chuck. If that happens, if that parlay hits, you just earn yourself a, a special guest appearance on this here podcast. So let's, let's remind the people. Georgia, Michigan State, Cincinnati, Wake Forest making the playoff, all right? So his scenario in which that happens would be Bama not making the SEC championship, theoretically losing to Auburn in the Iron Bowl. That would be Oregon losing again, which could happen, and then Oklahoma losing to Oklahoma State, Michigan State beating Ohio State. That's like, I don't know what that parlay would be on uh, fan or on, uh, yeah, on FanDuel, but I don't know, like <laughs> plus, more than plus 900, right? Yeah, I mean, this is exactly what this segment's for right here. <laughs> this is, this is, yeah. the more detailed you guys get with these, the better they are. I'm not hating that at all. Like you, dude, if some, if that happens, I'm gonna be scared because you're gonna have like superpowers. Chuck, put that parlay in uh, somewhere and let me know what the line is. But plus 900 was probably not enough. It's probably like plus 1800 or, or something like that, yeah. I think. You're getting at least 18 to one on your money there. Crazy though, that's what we love, bold and brash. Matthew Sedro says, is it bold and or brash to say that putting Alabama, putting this Alabama team at number two is one of the most ridiculous things the committee has done since its inception? I know it's early and it doesn't really matter, but this sets the precedent for the rest of the rankings. And frankly, I don't know how you can trust this committee after tonight. What, like seven new members of the selection committee as well, which was something that kind of forgot about, <laughs> kind of just lump them all together if we're being 100% honest. If we wanted to, if we actually knew how each specific person argued at the table, that'd be one thing. Like if, if, this, if this were politics, right? Mm -hmm. And you could go and you could say, hey, you know, politician X, you lobbied for this. Or hey, you accepted money for, for this. You know for what? That. No, you're on to something. Keep the selection committee live streaming on YouTube or Twitch. No, <laughs> you know what? No, keep all these bad opinions, put them online. I want to see them. Actually, this is the idea. No, make them, I want to see someone articulate to me why this monstrosity has happened. Good idea. 
The transparency that we thought we needed in college football, according to the SEC, was an SEC officiating account. No, 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 no. It's just a live stream, IG Live, selection committee sitting down at the table. I would just, I would just read the comments the entire time. I don't need to watch these people sit in this boring room and talk at each other. I just want to read the comments, just scrolling through the entire time. That would be great. So, I guess that's that kind of goes into my point of like, do we really know what the selection committee is? Do we? feel like we have an idea of what they value. I think they value head to head. I don't know that they value the premier win. I just just don't based on kind of what we fleshed out with with Cincinnati and not being ranked ahead of, you know, Ohio State and all those different things. So um, good take though, Matthew. I like that. Yeah, I mean, ridiculous and surprising are two different words. It is ridiculous. It's not surprising. And, and, and what you just said about the seven new members, I didn't personally know that, but that actually makes this make way more sense because you don't want to get it wrong, you know, if it's your first rodeo. So right. you probably are like, you know what? Alabama, they're good. I'll watch a lot of their games. Throw them up there. I guess that's kind of the way that it is at this point. Maybe they are defaulting a little bit, though the Oklahoma... Rankings suggest that they're not totally defaulting. Well, they probably did the same thing. They were just like, Oklahoma's been a a bunch of times. They didn't do well. Get them out of here. (laughs) Out with the old, in with the new. Smell you later, Oklahoma. (laughs) The last playoffs, Alabama won and Oklahoma lost. So get Oklahoma out, Alabama. It's like Patrick Starr is running the the CFP committee. Simple as that. Tanner Starr said... SEC ESPN is doing this intentionally to dominate off-season talk of playoff expansion. We got a good conspiracy theory here. And by good, I mean juicy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're doing this to dominate off-season talk of playoff expansion to further pressure the commissioners to come back for a vote and implementation of 12 teams in 2022. Such trash. I agree, Bama is the second best team, but you can't put them in over undefeated teams. It's disrespectful and a slap in the face to the players, coaches, fans, and entire university networks and they clearly mailed in the rankings from about 15 on down. Some hits, some misses in the in the bottom half of the rankings. I'll, I'll agree with him there. The Minnesota thing to me is just that's wild to see that. And to not have UTSA in there. How dare they? Shout out to Peter Burns, by the way. Proud UTSA grad, former golf team member Peter Burns. The belief that there is a conspiracy theory going on about the 12-team playoff it's fascinating because it's actually this weird self-fulfilling prophecy because it's the alliance who should be banging the drum for expansion and if there is people behind the scenes in the selection committee trying to get them to their like push them to their brink and realize that this ain't working and get them to realize what they should have already realized mm-hmm then it's kind of like, what, what are we doing here, right? Like this doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. They, it shouldn't take this type of convincing, these types of rankings, upsetting the masses to get to a 12-team field when the results on the field have told you that the 12-team field is probably like maybe the best thing for you. I don't know. Somebody, I that. saw a tweet back when Twitter was a thing that was like, if, <laughs> back in those days, uh, <laughs> sorry, that was, this is spot on. That was, if there was a CFP of baseball, the Braves wouldn't have made it. Oh man, sad. Probably not wrong. Jay Woody. Jay says, Bama and Clemson don't make the playoff, but Cincinnati does. Let's go, Jay. That's the type of chaos we need in this season, in 2021. It's just having the unpredictable. And that's, I don't know if we're gonna get that because there's still a lot of scenarios in which we'll have a very predictable field with the likes of Georgia, Bama, Oklahoma, 
and then Ohio State potentially getting in, like that scenario still exists and nobody would look back on that and say, wow, what a wild year 2021 was. That scenario that Jay just mapped out, that is indeed chaos. That would be, no matter how you look at it, even though we've already written off Clemson, that, that is still chaos. Let's end with this one. Hold on real quick. Time for America's favorite segment, Will Googling Things. Oh when do you think the last time Clemson just wasn't in the CFP rankings was? Because like I, I don't think that's ever happened. Even like 2014 was like Taj Boyd years. Like they were good. Was 2014 the where they were in like the Russell Athletic Bowl or something like yeah, that? Yeah, but it was like a yeah, well they, I think that was when they played Oklahoma or whatever, and they had like that crazy game. Uh, that, yeah. 2015, they played Oklahoma as well. They played Oklahoma in the semifinal. Yeah, no, no, no. But they played them, I think they played them the year before as well. Yeah, you might be right on that. You might be right. Yeah, all Clemson stuff pre-Deshaun Watson to me is like a different era. It is like Taj Boyd and and Deshaun Watson, like there is a a clear line in the sand of when those two guys got to, became stars and like took over their respective programs. Okay, yes, Clemson was was in every single one of the first year. And if they were in the first year, they're in all of them. So this would have been theoretically the first they have not been in. That's, That's insane. Nuts. Yikes. Poor little old Clemson. Poor Dabo. Someday. Poor, poor, poor little old Dabo paying his players. <laughs> Let's end with this one from Corey Puckett. Not to be confused with Kirby Puckett, RIP. Two SEC teams in the playoffs again. The playoff committee fails again to view the SEC championship as a quarterfinal, causing pain to the rest of the country and extreme dissatisfaction with the 14 playoff system that we have for some reason. Expansion of the playoffs is once again deemed completely necessary. A lot of people on board with this. <laughs> a lot of people are, are totally convinced that this is gonna be the year that pushes everybody to their brink. If, the, if it, does indeed end with an undefeated Cincinnati team getting left out of the group of five, left out of the playoff. The group of five commissioners are going to march to Irvine to the selection committee and they're setting couches on fire. (laughs) It's going down. What do you set on fire if you're a group of five commissioner? I don't know. Can't set money on fire because that's too important. You can't set money on fire because you don't have like uh, shrewd bucks. They just printed off a a bunch of like, like fake money and they're just burning it. Keep all your Stanley Nichols. You never know when you're going to need them. Facts. So um, thank you to everybody who submitted answers to Bold and Brash. Uh, Had a lot of takes. So many takes. Sorry, this was a bit of a longer pod. Hopefully everybody enjoyed it and was able to, to able to pass the time before the week 10 slate. Or if you're listening to this after week 10, whatever. I have no problem with that. People should do that more often. Listen to pods after the games come out and then you can come back and, and mock us after for don't, what we said. No, about don't games. do that. Actually, that's <laughs> don't ever do that. Never once. I need that every once in a while. Keep me honest. I don't mind. I challenge you. Go ahead. Oh, you can't tag me on Twitter. Do whatever you want. I don't care. I'll never see it. Great point. Great point, Will. You're seeing the positive in this already. Look at you. Leave us a five-star review, like, subscribe. Go subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored and Saturday Lives Forever. Wherever you get your podcast, new episode with Peter Warwick is out. We have a lot of great basketball content coming down the pipeline from our Adam Spencer. Adam. Five. Adam crushes that for it. SEC basketball coming up soon. We're going to have to get Adam back on the pot for a mailbag of sorts talking some SEC hoops. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.